Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It's March the 1st of 2023, and we are kicking off March... I don't... mm, March... Metalness? March March Metalness? March Metal Malchemists. That's better than anything I was going to come up with. I, was, I like went through about five. They were like, no, it's not funny. <laughs> so that's the thing, Nick. You can't let that be what stops you. You just got to do it. You, I didn't say that thinking, this is funny. I said it's it thinking, funny. I'm going to say it and no one's going to tell me no. Not Nabutaku, yeah, you... not Professor Peanuts, not back there, but no Certainly one not me, because I can't stop you for shit. No. So I've been trying for years. <laughs> so, guys, it's Weekly Manga Recap time. I'm Nick. Joined by Quinn, and we have been reading a manga uh, for a while now uh, that we're going to be talking about today. This one that I guess you could call it, like, I guess it's been a long time coming in that we started a manga podcast and haven't talked about it yet. And when you have any type of manga show, especially one that typically focuses on particularly shown in manga i feel like you kind of have to talk about this one at some point and uh we just never did uh until today so yeah uh to be fair the series had ended by the time we started the podcast uh and we both have read it and talked about the fact that we've read it before so it was never like it's not something like, you know, like uh, Dragon Ball or something like that, where it's like, oh, you guys haven't like gotten around to that yet? Like, and we will eventually give it time. Um, mm-hmm. But this is just one that's kind of been like, I guess we've never officially done an episode on this. So, yeah, even when it. we did the uh, even when we did like those kind of early editions where in between talking about a recommendation, we would like, oh, let's talk about a series that we're just both already familiar with, like, you know. What are some things that like we would improve about, you know, Bleach or Shield 21 or what have you? Uh, this was not one of those. Uh, and uh, I mean, you know, I'll admit that part of it comes down to the fact that although definitely this was a big influential series for me, as it was for a lot of people who were getting into anime at the time that I was at the age that I was. Uh, Full Metal Alchemist has never really been one of my like big favorite series. <gasps> Get ready, guys. Nick is about to give a negative review to Full Metal Alchemist. All right, Nick, I'm going to hold them up. You just start going for the body. I kind of wish that I could. (gasps) Just for the sake of, like, it would be, you know, like, a good hot take, you know, because, like, it's it's hard to kind of go after it. But, like, in all honesty, like, it would just be... I would be just be completely disingenuous <laughs> if I did. It's it's it it would be hard for me to be really negative on this series because um it's good. Um I came back to this series, uh Full Metal Alchemist, which um God uh, what what has not been said about this manga? It's been it's had two different anime series based on it. They were both very successful, both in Japan and when they were dubbed in English uh, as well. Uh, it's it definitely bears some uh, or deserves rather some credit for helping to kind of 
escalate anime and manga uh, into more of, of a mainstream audience uh, in Western culture uh, because it was it was just very popular and it was one of those kind of series that even if you weren't really into very you know shonen y uh, series, it was definitely kind of a gateway for a lot of people to start getting into it. Uh, there's a ton of iconic characters and lines and memes based around spoilers uh, that, you know, it has definitely left its mark on pop culture history and especially, you know, like the uh, online fandom for anime and manga. So I had managed to kind of list like leave it behind essentially when, when I read the last chapter, you know, over 10 years ago and I came back to it basically fresh after having not thought of it for a while. And my overall impression was this is not suddenly one of my favorite series now that I've come to it again, but I can more fully appreciate just how fucking good it is. It's we'll get into a lot of aspects of it, but I was just kind of blown away by like, this is, it's just a very consistently good series in a lot of different regards. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't really feel like there's much of a point in burying the lead. I think full metal alchemist is considered, or at least if it's not by the wide majority should be considered a modern classic. And, in the way that a lot of people have like a lot of reverence for uh, whatever 2000s-esque shonen battle manga they enjoyed, uh, I feel like Full Metal Alchemist has like the widest range of people who enjoy it. Like, I really have not met many people who say like, "Oh, Full Metal Alchemist, I don't care for that" or whatever. The closest I had was me. I didn't like this series all that much the first time I read. I thought it was good, but I remember really thinking the series like fumbled sort of towards the end and got like kind of sloppy. Um, and I was, and I was like the most negative opinion I've heard. Uh, but rereading it now, like, I mean, it is astounding how well constructed full metal alchemist is like, it, it, it is not a perfect series, but I, I don't think we should gauge things entirely off the means of, like, <laughs> the pursuit of perfection exclusively. Like, well, too many short jokes about it. I guess <laughs> let's, throw out, <laughs> let's throw out all these babies if this bathwater's a little stinky. Um, but uh, it, it really is just, like, such a, an iconic series with so many just astoundingly well-executed scenes and characters and plot lines and it is slow but never feels boring it is you know meticulous with its character work there is setup that takes months and months and years in some cases before you get payoffs but none of it feels like excessively dragging you could figure things out like if you've never read this series before but you're one of those people who's like i want to piece together the clues like it really the manga does not at any point really like just pull something out of nowhere and you're like well how is i supposed to like you could probably figure quite a few things out as you're going mm. through uh, the cast is astounding, and almost everyone who I thought didn't get enough to do 
in like my like going back i always am like why do people like mayhews that much he's in like two volumes and i like reading it again it's like oh no never mind mayhews is in a shit ton and he fucking rules and i'm crying nick i can't stop <laughs> why did they do this to him uh yeah yeah i mean uh this is the series that i feel like if you're a big fan of a shonen adventure type series in some way, I think every big fan of those types of manga wishes that their series could, in some respects, be like Full Metal Alchemist uh, in terms of having a wide cast of characters, all of which get something to do at some point, aren't just there for the sake of it. Uh, like if a character's there for the sake of it, it's because they're, you know, in like two panels to because there needs to be, you know, a group of people to interact with. You know, they're like a, a soldier or a face in a crowd or something. Uh, there is like there is this, you know, girl at the military branch who is just kind of the the, the nerdy librarian named Jessica. And it's just and she's like there to just kind of like be, you know, a, a bookworm who's got a photographic memory in a couple of spots. But, you know, every time that like someone needs to go into the freaking library, like she comes up and, you know, she's kind of the person who's there. There's a group of these chimera guys. They're just big dudes who are just upset about the fact that they've been turned into monsters and they're not just like beaten up once and then forgotten about they say oh well we're gonna follow the good guys now because they kind of understand us and they follow them for the entire rest of the series and and are part of the final battle like they're not like the swinging factor in it but they're there and they're helping and then like in the epilogue they get to do stuff too like characters aren't just forgotten about uh which is astonishing after all the shit that we've read it, it, it is it is such a weird thing that we're like it remembers it as characters yes <laughs> we're like we're praising it like real bare minimum energy but like i mean it is just like so enjoyable to see a series that has like a load of side characters but no one ever really feels unimportant like everyone feels significant in this story um it avoids having the uh female love interest who doesn't do anything even though they never give her you know fuck all the fucking powers you can list off on sakura and she's like one fifteenth as fucking interesting as winry who just makes prosthetics that's it and she's a compelling and enriching character as several small stories all to herself and then her connection to the Elric brothers is like an integral piece of their chemistry and what works for them. And she's not forgotten. You know, she's like a part of the series for like seven straight volumes. And then eventually they are like, okay, she's going to exit the story, but she's never going to be forgotten. Like she is, she is a main character in this too. Winry is like a, a, an incredible example of, okay, here is a character who is in a battle series and she's got no combat abilities. So there are situations where she's not going to have anything to contribute to you know, the plot and it doesn't make logical sense for her to be in a dangerous situation. So she goes somewhere where it's safe and yet it doesn't... F- it doesn't feel like, oh, she's been forgotten about or she just, you know, got we just got rid of her because we couldn't do anything with her. Uh, it, 
she has a set of skills that make her still valuable to the people around her and to the story. And that's just not forgotten about. And that's, I think, a big thing that is kind of the feeling of careful consideration to a lot of elements of the story is uh, a character, a character has a purpose to serve to the narrative. And if they're not, if that purpose is no longer required, that doesn't mean that you have to forget about them. It means like, okay, well, you know, like they'll come back later on when they can be, you know, of use to the story and other characters will, you know, like have a bond with them of some regard so that they'll like, you know, want to talk with them, even if they're not serving a very specific function or something like that. Uh, And yeah, and she's got a great relationship with, with Alphonse, with Edward. Uh, And, uh, you know, there's the whole like cycle of vengeance thing that maybe we should step back a little bit. (laughs) It's tough not to talk about the the entire thing. Yeah. Uh, Let's, those all right. you. If you have never heard of Full <laughs> Metal Alchemist before, and it's two anime, like four movies, a live action movie, uh, yeah. Uh, the Law of Equivalence Exchange states that <laughs> to obtain something of equal volume. Of, okay. In Full Metal Alchemist, alchemy exists. The uh, quote unquote science that allows you to transform some substance into another. Uh, There are a whole bunch of alchemists who are kind of like the superpowered people within this world uh, that can cause all all sorts of, you know, insane things to happen because they can literally just like, okay, I I transform, you know, a pile of rubble into a house or I can use it to, you know, launch a hail of bullets on my enemy and stuff. They've got superpowers, essentially. Uh, But there is just because people can do all these insane things, that doesn't mean they can do anything. And a big thing is the fact that you can't transmute living matter uh so uh our heroes who are uh edward and alphonse ed uh is like the their their brothers ed is al's older brother uh when they were a bit younger uh their mom died they tried to use alchemy to bring her back from the dead uh and insane shit happened which caused basically god to say you've been doing stuff that you shouldn't be and i'm gonna take something from you for messing with stuff you shouldn't have been uh he stole uh ed's leg uh and owl's entire body and in order to desperately get his brother back ed gave up then his arm so that he could then put his brother's soul into a suit of armor uh, and so now Ed has an artificial arm and leg, which are these cybernetic things called automail. Winry's an automail mechanic. And so she was regularly doing maintenance for her childhood friend. Uh, and Al's a suit of armor. Uh, and he's just stuck that way. Yes. So the two of them are spending the plot to try to find a way to correct their mistake, to get Ed's limbs back, and much more importantly, to get Al's body back because there's a lot of downsides to just being a living suit of armor, which are dealt with, like, not in a heavy-handed way, but in a very real way. Uh, the realities of, like, he's not human, he can't sleep, he can't eat, it sucks, even if he gets to be a cool suit of armor who punches guys really hard. Um, and uh, 
the two of them are setting out to do this, it turns out that uh, the ability to potentially correct this mistake lies within this thing called the Philosopher's Stone, which they're journeying around trying to find out the secrets of while working for the state government. Uh, and um, there's an in, there's a huge plot from the people who control the source of the Philosopher's Stones that involves the entire world being in danger. And there's a billion really cool characters in it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, now to volume two. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a good summation of the plot. And um, I think it is going to be a challenge to not just kind of rave about various points throughout this series and the characters you love and the moments that really work. I, I do. There are things I do want to point out that like upon rereading, I'm like, all right, I'm not a huge fan of this. Um, and certain things that maybe didn't uh, age super duper well. Um, but generally speaking, I think if you have never read full metal alchemist and you truly don't know anything that's really going on about it uh, or, uh, and maybe this is the more likely thing. If you haven't read it in a really, really long time, I would absolutely say to go read it. Like, go check it out. Uh, if it's, you know, your second time or third time through or whatever, just, like, check it out with new eyes. This is really one of those series that, like, reads so well when you're just going through it. Or you're just chugging through it. You're not stopping, really, or whatever. And, I mean, you know, you, you could sleep, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you could do that sort of stuff. But, like... It, this series reads great just in like long stretches where you're just going through it. There's such a great sense of like cliffhanger and, and, and build up. Uh, I was buying the collected volumes and the volumes themselves just really end at like the perfect moment. Most of the times. Also, if you haven't read the collected volumes, I recommend it just to get, uh, Oh my gosh, what's her name? Ar Arakawa. I think it is Arakawa. Yeah. yeah Arakawa's a uh, little like, addendums and notes and gags some very dark <laughs> like there's one <laughs> that was so dark that i was like holy shit this is funny but my god this is bleak uh really cool stuff there great little notes like for a while just because this series has like a rotating cast of dying characters there was an in memoriam at the end of every volume <laughs> because characters just kept dying uh and it's it's you know really really interesting that's i guess another thing to praise while we talk about all the characters that really you know um stay around and keep themselves useful there are characters that just like run their purpose and yeah. leave the story like death is a very significant part of full metal alchemist it is an you know integral part of these characters and the stories they're telling and lessons they're learning and just how they're living life. It is a violent world with uh, quite a bit of tragedy to it. So like tragedy and loss and, and death is just this, you know, ubiquitous feeling throughout the series just because care like their, their mortality is real. Uh, and sometimes it's a little silly. Like when Scar kills a big, dumb, stupid idiot scientist or uh, alchemist, you're like, who the fuck is this loser? <laughs> I am the super alchemist and I'm going to defeat you. Oh, you've transmuted my like, Oh, I'm in the water. I'm in the water. I'm in the water. <laughs> I'll get out of this one. Oh, I'm not getting out of this one. It's just a pool of blood flows to the top <laughs> of the surface. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's uh, so like you get stuff like that, but like really, it it, it is just like such uh, a smooth ride, and this is the thing that like blew my mind, and I, I suppose I should say. Uh, if you have never read it, I, I would probably stop here and read it because I think spoilers, I'm not intending to spoil things necessarily, but like, I just know I'm going to. <laughs> so like, I understand. Like, how could like, how can you hold back from talking about all the good things? Yeah, uh, which inevitably encroach into spoiler territory. But like in like, even rereading it, I, I really thought and completely like missed uh, how like the pacing of the series in my mind what like differed from the actual pacing uh there's a character death i won't say whose it is right now but there's a character death that in my mind is like a late act two even into act three death and then when that character dies in like volume nine like the scene starts getting set up i was like oh they must come back here later when this character dies and i was like this is starting to look a lot like the scene where this character dies. Oh my god, they die here. This is like really early on in the grand scheme of this story. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, another one thing I guess I want to talk about before we get into it is um, this series has so many different and cool female characters in it um there i mean you know we've already talked about winry uh but then there's you know like a lot of people are of course like really big into like uh big sis armstrong olivier uh uh and there's lanfan who is you know the ninja bodyguard she's she's great and then there's riza who when i read this through uh this time made me kind of realize like, oh, this is probably why I have like a very deep appreciation for like cool, cold, composed, badass female characters is because I saw this this lady when I was like 13. I was like, she's cool. (laughs) More of her. Uh, And I think that that is like. It's not just that there's a bunch of, you know, like, oh, cool female characters, but it also just shows like they don't all have to be like the same kind of character. Um, you know, there are several that you could say fall into kind of the, the kind of the very broad definition of like, Oh, they're a girl who like looks out for her man. Who's kind of her love interest kind of thing. But even beyond that, like, you know, Izumi is this, you know, older teacher type and she is really cool. Not even just like when she's beating stuff up, but also just like in the way that she talks about alchemy and how she has come to understand it after making some very horrible mistakes in her past. Uh, the way that she, you know, is among like the most human characters in the series because like she can get angry. She's a very good parental figure. Uh, I even like probably who should be the most incredibly annoying character in the series, May. I really like her. She's a little, she's this, this mm. little girl who kicks people hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she's got a little tiny pet panda, uh, which is way cuter than it should be, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I love that side cast. Izumi, in particular, as a character, really stands out. Um she is sort of the mentor character to Ed and Al. Uh, so she has this very distinct place in 
the series as like their teacher, their mentor, but also this very human like connection they have because she is somebody else who also committed what is considered a quote unquote like grave sin of alchemy, uh, just like uh, the other uh, Elric brothers have. So, you know, there there is a very tangible like sad humanity to her that you get to run a gamut of emotions through uh, as like the story develops there's there's definitely tears that are to be shed also she has like just a cool marriage with it's really uh, nice <laughs> i don't even know her husband's name he is just azumi's S- husband in my mind sig, sig uh sure uh he's just azumi's husband though in my mind uh because Sig's, he, Sig's husband and armstrong's boyfriend uh, yeah. <laughs> he never makes the cover like the opening spread where they explain characters azumi makes it almost every single time after her introduction right sig never makes one and it is very refreshing to have that be the way a marriage the yes. story is where he's just like happy to support my wife yeah he's just this big strong guy who loves his wife and it's, it's very much just kind of a silent strong support for her um and it's an, which is also a nice offset for again like all the female characters that are kind of just there in support of guys but then around the time that izumi gets introduced it's like oh no Here's all these other different like characters that we can have uh, cool women be, and it's like I just really appreciate that <laughs> that we had this one big shonen series in the 2000s. It was like, no, here's all these great female characters. Um, I think that this series is an incre- has an incredible combination of just like you know, of a complex enough plot. Where, you know, there's like there's this deep conspiracy that's going on. Like you said before, it doesn't like, you know, deliberately hide stuff just to spring it on you later. You can figure stuff out uh, in some cases if you're paying attention. But there's enough of a convoluted plot to stuff that even when you feel like you know all of what's going on, there's still enough that has been revealed. And the fact that the good guys haven't figured it out yet still creates great tension. Uh, there are some cool action scenes. There's some very effective horror uh in this story um you know like the designs of some of the monstrous beings that come about the very existential uh nature of the fact that there is just this very callous godlike being that oversees everything and part of it wants to destroy the world in order to rebel against god basically uh the fact that you know at certain points al is like not sure if he's really alphonse elric because all he is is a mark on a suit and like for a 15 year old kid to be dealing with that like holy shit uh and then you know there's a little girl who gets forcefully bonded with her dog by her crazy dad. Uh, <laughs> People make too big of a deal about that. The dog, they're fine. Scar put them into a better place. They show up yeah, in the Yeah, he took them to a farm. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, there's... Uh, I had a thought. I completely lost it at this point. Um, no, nope, it's gone. I, Carry on. Okay. All right. Um... And I do to go on that point, actually, of talking about uh, about her, I do appreciate that even though like that's really just kind of like the big gut punch that happens at the beginning of the series that takes us from, oh, 
here's like a weekly adventure that Ed and Alphonse are going on where they show what cool and clever alchemists they are. You know, here's a bit where Ed fools a corrupt, you know, towns keep, uh, you know, uh, town sheriff essentially who's been exploiting the town and he basically buys it from him for nothing in order to give it to the good mining folk uh, here's a bit where he exposes a corrupt priest and stuff oh look at these nice adventures they're having and then they get to the one where they you know bond with this little girl who's very sweet and innocent and her dad in order to get some results for his research uh, decides to turn her into, into a chimera by bonding her with her own dog and they're like what the fuck did you do <laughs> and he says we're the same because you also create an abomination with alchemy and Ed just has to kind of deal with the truth of that <laughs> yeah there's, there's just like a realization that he has to take of like, yeah, yes, I am. <laughs> Fuck. And that is something that just haunts them and follows them for the rest of the series. You know, it's not like that's, you know, a really super plot relevant thing that happens. Uh, it doesn't really play into the big conspiracy going on or all the stuff that they have to accomplish. But it keeps Ed and Al grounded for the rest of the story of like, there are lines that we can't ever cross again. And we've got to do our best to help people because of that little girl that we couldn't help when we had the opportunity to, and she needed us most. And it just kind of makes them, you know, keep an eye on themselves and influences them that way. And it's just really nice to have that awareness about a series or about a, a, a series cast, I guess, specifically to learn from their mistakes uh, and to keep those things with them because it makes them feel like real people who are learning from the experiences that they go through in the manga. Uh, so it's great. Uh, do we want to talk a little about a couple of spoiler things before we yeah, move I, on? Because there's a couple of things I do want to talk about that do fall into spoilers. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. I think at this point, if you haven't, definitely go. And I, I should say this because this also uh, was brought up in the chat. If you've only ever experienced what is considered the 2003 anime and you haven't considered uh, experienced Brotherhood or read the manga, this is also an opportunity for you to leave and go check those out. Um, mm -hmm. You are definitely getting a great story in the 2003 anime, uh, but it is famously probably the most like divergent uh, story where they were just like, we're past the manga. We just got to make our own stuff up for the for the entire second half of that series, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so like, definitely, if you haven't go, go check out uh, Brotherhood. Uh, that's what you want to consume it or read the manga. Uh, both are, are great ways to 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 enjoy this story. Yeah. All right. So spoilers. The seven deadly sins. <laughs> The homunculi, I guess I should say, uh -huh. uh, and and they're forever making me think that like all villain groups should be so cool as to be named after the seven deadly sins. Basically. Every one of them should be seven deadly sins. Um, I have to say because we've dealt with a lot of villain groups, we had we did a list of like the best villain groups uh, for a bonus pod, didn't yes. we? And I believe the 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 homunculi, seven deadly sins, whatever you call them, showed up in both of our lists. Yes, and I mean, like, well deserved for it because it's nice to see like a very defined, uh, limited numbers villain group show up in a show and series like this. And when they're 
when they're done, they're just basically done. <laughs> uh, the only one who really cheats is greed, but there's justification for that. Uh, but they're also they also like get dealt with all throughout the entire story, and I love the pacing of that. Where you know, like lust, as a, as a, I think the one you were alluding to before. Yeah, that died. that death happened so much earlier in the like series than I remember. Third of the way through the series, <laughs> after he hasn't really gotten to do much, honestly. Uh, yeah, it was it was one of the few where I was like, I wish we'd gotten a little bit more time. But like, legitimately, I was like, yeah, I remember eventually. Like, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Roy just keeps burning her and she dies and i was like oh this is kind of like the room she dies in oh and this is starting to look a lot like the scene where she dies and they must like mirror it later no this is the scene she's just dying right now okay (laughs) i did not remember where it was which by the way i love the like extra ingenuity that's thrown into that scene to make that death extra satisfying because uh she you know fights smart she freaking cuts open a pipe so that roy's like i make a spark and then you and then it casts a giant fireball gloves get soaking wet and then she takes them away from him so that he can't cast his giant fireballs anymore so then he shows up after being mortally wounded because he etched the sigil for the fire into the back of his hand with a needle and then used uh, Havoc's lighter to make the spark and then seared his wounds shut so that he could go after her. And so with this like makeshift weaponry, he goes and he just burns her to death over yeah. and over again. It's awesome. It is an extremely cool and satisfying scene, especially because she's so terrifying in that moment. Because uh, to that point, she seemed pretty, you know like non like rather convenienced by everything everything's just kind of like oh you silly little weird humans like get on scruffy like the hair like get on out of here stop investigating our evil labs we need you for our purposes pretty much and then eventually just like all right fine you get you fucked around too much and you're about to find out and then she starts just going hog wild and like there are like real consequences to that fight as well and like there's the terror that like that scene ends and then it like cuts to outside the room where King Bradley's like sheathing his sword and he's yeah, like he could kill them all right there. He, if he walks if he walks right into that room, every one of those characters is dead. Like yeah. not even a chance. Uh Bradley is such a good final boss he's so cool he's so cool (laughs) he's such a and he's such a bastard too (laughs) you hate him and you weirdly kind of like him too because he is this weird oddity of a homunculi that you know normally these are things that uh do not age sort of have like these omnipresent forms but this is specifically one that does age and was a human i mean they were all kind of humans but like this is like weird that he is like a human he's getting older and everyone's like this is like crazy so he has kind of like an interesting outlook on life where he kind of wants to lose um like there's in a way he doesn't want to lose but he does seem very accepting of the idea that it will happen that is very amusing like it's it's just interesting to see this thought process go through his mind it's not like a major thing but he'll have like conversations with people where he's just like they're surprising us every day (laughs) and you're like fuck face our entire mission is riding on this stop laughing 
Yeah, but I mean, I'm not here by choice. Like, you grew me to be yeah. this way, so I don't have to like it. <laughs> yeah, he's so cool. And, like, the end of the series is what... I, so, if you're a real long-time WMR fan, you would know that Weekly Munger Recap for as a podcast was a blog that I did. And in that, I took a couple of recommendations. Full Metal Alchemist was one of them. I talked about Full Metal Alchemist. And my thought process at the time was this is really cool, but it really stumbled towards the end because eventually the bad guys just stop being intimidating. The good guys just like roll over them for like three straight volumes. Like they just because the only people who are really left in the bad guys are chuckle fuck fucking uh, like political there's, there's, heads like. And then there's like pride and sloth and Bradley, basically. Yeah. Like, there's these guys that just don't matter, and, like, it's just, it, everything's going very easy. Until King Bradley shows up and just single-handedly is like... He just, just, <laughs> he just, they've got a tank staring him down, and they fire at him, and he dodges it, and he cuts off the treads of the tank, and then when one of them's like, huh, well, we can't drive the tank, where is he? He just stabs them through the little hatch. <laughs> He's... So terrifying. I love him. I, I don't want to just talk about like him that, nonstop, it's, but it's like that joke about uh about Haku where like if I've got a handgun and a tank and, and Haku is like a mile away, I've got him dead to rights, I'm jumping out of the tank and <laughs> giving myself up because if I miss him, I don't want him to be mad at me. He just beats a tank with a sword. Yeah. King Bradley doesn't have super offensive abilities like any of the other homunculi. He just has source. <laughs> He's just going to whoop your ass. And like, he has such a great introduction of hunting down greed. And we don't see much go. Because like, we know as an audience that King Bradley is a homunculi far before the rest of the characters oh, yeah. figured out for like a while. And it's so amusing because you just have to keep seeing this happen and nobody finds out for the longest time. You just see him like just manage to kind of like slink away or he just manages to like kind of get out of there before someone would like be like, hey, wait, what? what are you wait a, a monster? You're the, you're the president. What the fuck? Yeah, like it's <laughs> it's such a well executed thing. And he's terrifying. Just so terrifying. Um, the, the, he has a great moment where uh Ed is trying to, or not Ed, sorry, Al is trying Al. to like protect someone inside of him. And yeah. Pass out and he's just like, no, can't, can't have this person survive stabs and just stab straight through Al to kill this person he knows is inside of him. And uh, that's actually the dark joke I mentioned earlier. There's like another one where that same premise is going on. Someone just puts a bunch of cats inside of Al. And then Al's just like, Oh, yeah, I remember everything, which you only find out happens when the blood of an innocent gets on his seal. So the joke is just that these cats murdered <laughs> this cats. It's fucking bleak. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like really good stuff. Oh, man. So the, my point about uh, the homunculi is I'm just impressed with the restraint to have a villain group introduced and just have them just be the main villains for the entire story. It's not like, oh, they're the villains for this arc or anything like that. It's nope. It's the homunculi and father who, yeah. whom they work in service of. 
And I guess that's a, like a potential for, you know, a big advantage to a series that's just like one story, which is just everything is contained. Everything at the beginning can be worked into the end and stuff. Obviously, like it's incredibly difficult to just like have like a story when you're writing it, you know, week to week or month to month or what have you. Uh, but this was an impeccably well crafted story, and they're a great example of that. Uh, you know, you're slowly finding out who these, uh, who each of these members of the seven are over time. Sometimes they're just dudes, you know, like kind of like monstrous looking dudes, like sloth and gluttony. And in other cases, it's like, oh, King Bradley, the freaking president Fuhrer of the country is, is, is a homunculus. And then who is the last one? Is a, oh, it's his little son, who is, you know, potentially the most terrifying of all of them. I say potentially. He ends up being kind of a wuss. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was also a fun thing for me, because like going into it, there's a lot of things I remembered, but for the life of me, I was like, who the fuck is Pride in this series? Like, I could not remember wow. it. So I actually did kind of get to, like, have the surprise again of being like, oh, shit, it's Lil Bradley. One character who really um, increased in, like, my enjoyment of them is Ling, who is a character uh, that is completely... In this series, I don't think he shows up at all in the he's 2003. Not in, he's not in 2003 at all. So if you haven't seen 2003, or, or, uh, or not 2003, Brotherhood, or Brotherhood. Uh, the full manga, you definitely should, because he is a very interesting character who is, again, in a lot more of the series than I thought he was. Like, yeah. I kind of felt like, I was like, oh yeah, yeah like he shows up and then uh, gets kind of taken off screen, like gets get kind of like not written off, but like just kind of gets you know removed. And then I'm like, nah, man, he's basically like the third protagonist. <laughs> kind of is. Series. Like he really is involved pretty closely in everything, um, and that's that's really cool. We use a character that is annoying, but in understandable way, uh, mm -hmm. and lives up to a lot of cool moments where you're just like, fuck, all right, you've earned my respect for Manji to survive like a two-on-one yeah. fight against Bradley. Yeah. Uh, the I love the relationship that he forms after he's bonded with greed. Like, that kind of much more, like, contained version of, you know, like, you know, the inner hollow or the, or the QB uh, kind of thing. Uh, you know, growing to bond with the, your internal demon and such uh the i really like the relationship that he has with his bodyguards uh you know how dedicated they are to him but also in which keeps on reminding him how much he needs to work for them and for his people uh and now i lost that never mind I'm, <laughs> so something else uh so <laughs> yeah i mean i i will say so i do want to point out a couple of things that aren't uh, that I didn't love as much. The biggest, and maybe the one I took away the most, uh, this series really hangs its hat on uh, Ed is short. T <laughs> they get maybe the most mileage out of that joke than I have ever seen anyone try to get. Like, they, if you do not find this hysterical, you just gotta, you gotta accept it. You just gotta push it down because it is nonstop throughout this series. Everyone comments on on Ed's height. It's the constant joke in Omake chapters, and it is 
something Ed even has against himself where you're just like, okay, I get it. He's short. Like this, this was just like a character trait that a lot of like 2000s anime boys could get. Like you're short. And that would be like the gag against a man. Full Metal Alchemist had so much more of it than I remembered. Uh, I didn't mind the short jokes. What got kind of annoyed to me after a little bit was that they kept on insisting that Ed was short because he drink, didn't drink his milk. <laughs> and it's, it wasn't even so much that. It was that afterwards I would be like, oh, I don't like milk. And it's like, all right. <laughs> Why don't you like milk? I, is it like a health thing? Some people can't drink milk. It's like, I don't like the taste of milk. All right, what kind of two-year-old are you? <laughs> I thought it was this reason he was like, it's cow juice and that's gross. All right. <laughs> I, no, look, I'm not. I'm not here to like. I'm just saying. I feel like I don't know. Anyway, they do make it like an actual plot point later on. Yes. They're like, oh, you're short because you're essentially feeding Al's body in an in Right. It's a whole thing. Um, yeah. But it's, it, it is a thing that the jokes themselves, though, are rather exhausting. So I didn't care I for that. And there, there are some weird things that go on. There is an entire sub. I shouldn't even say sub story. It is, it is a major part of the story that there is the Ishvalans who were essentially like a peaceful nation that were just forced into a civil war, and it was very violent, and it essentially became a giant genocide. And there's a lot of things that go on there. And despite the fact that that happens, there's not a lot of stories. Or narratives really from their perspective we do get scar mm-hmm. uh and then uh i forget his name i want to say ken but i don't think that's that there's there's somebody up north who is like right part. right um and it's nice to get that but there's a lot of times mm-hmm. where it feels like those miles that's it um there's a lot of times where like characters might show up and then very quickly just be like and here is our story goodbye and you're just like hmm. i would like a little bit more of their story in this if that makes sense uh maybe would have liked a bit more of time spent kind of getting to see those characters so it didn't feel so quick in and out uh Kaskar's story is really one of vengeance and then acceptance so you do yes. get a satisfying thing there but it, it does feel like there maybe could have been more that we would have been able to enjoy all right uh i've got i think three more things i want to bring up okay just one is uh, I loved Armstrong when I first read this series. I read this series again. I loved him all over again. He's so he's just he's just the best. <laughs> he's it's not just that he is so funny, which which he is. It's also that like he's so positive and so helpful and nice that he's never the one you're laughing like at like derisively you know maybe you're laughing at him because he's so ridiculous but then he's like yeah but also he's really great and nice because he looks after his subordinates he's very concerned about ed and alphonse and just wants to take care of them because he's like doting on them like a good uncle but also in a in a like really annoying uncle way like when he sees them sparring and is like then i'll spar with you too and he rips his shirt <laughs> off and goes to tackle them I love that bit where he goes to like bodyguard them back to uh, their home uh, on the train. And he's like, but it's cheaper to, say, to put Al in storage than to buy him a ticket. So they just stick him in a storage car. And then it turns out he put him in the livestock car. And he's like, oh, I thought it would be better than if we stuck him in storage because then he'd have company. Yeah, he has friends now. <laughs> he's got friends now. 
Oh my, he's he's just the best. Uh, he's got his his only flaw is that his heart is too big. Like canonically, his heart is too big because then he can't like you know make the decisions where you have to make the smart decision. He's he's too concerned with all of the people around him and stuff. He's so good. Yeah. And I love his relationship with Sig, where they just bond over both being beautifully muscular dudes, and that's it. Um, I love how hard it was for Bradley to get taken down at the end. Uh, you know, we talked about like the tank thing earlier. Then there's, you know, the fight against uh, Buccaneer and uh, oh, I forget, I forget the name of Lynn's uh, older bodyguard. But that awesome moment where he realizes I can't beat Bradley, but I can kill him in a suicide attack. So he's, you know, lights a bunch of dynamite strapped to his uh, chest and Bradley just slices all the fuses off while striking a mortal blow through his chest. And then Buccaneer comes up behind the guy and stabs through him in order to stab Bradley. <laughs> and they're like, even with your bullshit eye powers, you can't see this coming because his body is blocking it. And then he lives through that. <laughs> yeah. And Scar has to be. He's, it's great. It is terrifying. Uh, but it's such a satisfying moment. Like, I really do uh, have to overcome a lot. Um, I love the relationships between a lot of the people and how, like, strong they are through these very dire circumstances. Um, there is this really powerful theme throughout the series of kids and adults essentially uh, you know ed and al are being constantly told by the people around him hey look you gotta depend on us more you're kids you don't have to do everything but the big difference between them is that ed and al have this still this streak of innocence to them and a streak of idealism to them whereas you know all the adults that are surrounding them have been soldiers in a war or have dealt with the consequences of being from like a war ravaged country uh, and so they have, you know, know of the realities and horrors of the world. And so they kind of just have to like get along with it and just do stuff while trying to detach emotion from it as much as they can. But you're still reminded constantly like, no, these people do definitely have emotions. Uh, you know, Hawkeye and Mustang have this relationship that is defined by like, uh, mutual respect and professionalism despite the fact that like everyone kind of knows that there's more going on between them uh, not just in terms of like they're a very popular ship in the fandom but also like all the characters are kind of aware of it to the point that Hawkeye fakes out Envy by suggesting that they're in a relationship so even the two of them are aware of it uh, but they're always very you know curt with each other always kind of like reprimanding each other for like your you you let your emotions get the best of you you can't do that but then when things get really dire like when hawkeye thinks mustang is dead she you know breaks down she attacks someone in anger she cries when she thinks that he's dead so they do deeply care about each other it's just that they know that they have a job to do and so they have to put that aside Whereas at Anal, it's like they operate on their emotions. Their emotions yeah. are leading them. Uh, and that's like kind of the difference between the two of them. Yeah. And uh, I forgot my last point. Please say something okay. while I try to remember it. <laughs> uh, there's a scene that I really like uh, that's really sweet. Because there's there's a large part where Rin Winry exists in a space where she doesn't really get told a lot. 
and she's kind of just bouncing around following after these guys and there's a lot of concern in her because she's like i don't in her mind she still thinks of these as like her childhood friends um mm. and she still thinks of them as kind of as still thinks of them uh specifically like uh, ed as kids uh and then yeah. like a scene happens and she's like watching them walk away and she's like when did ed's shoulders get so broad and i was like this is that one line was enough to be like more romantically satisfying than like most other like 99% of like shonen love interest storylines. I was like that one scene was enough to like catapult ahead of all the crappy bad romances we've had to endure. I really, really yeah. like that. It's a very nice understated sequence where she kind of understands like, Oh, Ed's like, not like a kid. He's He's kind of a hunk, <laughs> but she doesn't say it like that. <laughs> no. She she says like she just kind of like has this quiet realization while she's riding the train. Where like, I guess I've just been in love with him for a while, yeah. and that and it, and it like feels genuine. Just like oh no, you know there there are these people who knew each other since they were kids. They've known each other their whole lives. So she just kind of didn't acknowledge the fact that she had fallen in love with Ed at some point, and. Because she wasn't mature enough to realize what the emotion she felt meant. And it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll buy that. Yeah, It's a series about growing up. Yeah. Nick, we all don't realize our shoulders have gotten so broad. My, my shoulders have never been broad. So oh. I'm, I'm a scrawny bean. So <laughs> uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about. So um, that bring up the context for it. There has been the suggestion that there is a religious message to this series. No, there isn't. <laughs> um, so it's interesting because this series starts off in the very first chapter with Ed saying, because, you know, they have come to this town where there is this basically false prophet, but he was using a philosopher's stone to conduct quote unquote miracles. So he can exploit the people. And Ed gives this speech to this girl there and where he says that like, you know, there is no God, you know, everything that he's doing is just alchemy. It's just science. You know, I don't believe in God essentially. And God exists in this story. It's not, you know, Christian God, you know, the being refers to themselves as, Oh, I'm the world. I'm the truth. Humans call me God kind of thing. You know, this being that is larger than the universe, essentially. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so with that kind of setting and with the idea that, you know, there are things that humans aren't meant to dabble in, there are, as you know, a dark version of this being that is using the seven deadly sins to try and take over everything. Uh, you know, there's some definitely elements of like, oh, there's like Catholic references and everything here. So is this supposed to be a story about like, oh, you know, you're, you know, you can't do everything with science and our main characters need to learn that like there is a being that is beyond humans and stuff. But at the end of the story, Ed does not like acknowledge God is superior. He just kind of comes to terms with this being by kind of outsmarting them. And according to them, besting it whereas the most religious character in the story scar when he kills bradley says there is no god in this world <laughs> like, so it's a very weird series uh where 
the idea is just that uh, humans, regardless of whether you have, you know, faith in a higher being or not, we've got to kind of get along and on our own merits. And that means that if we treat each other badly, then that's on us as people. Because this series also deals a lot with man's evil towards man, even though there's all these monsters and stuff running around and manipulating people and stuff. The big evil plot is by a bunch of boring, old, money-grubbing asshole politicians who want to sacrifice the entire country so they can live forever. And that's why everything bad happens. It's the most boring villain ever could possibly be responsible, and they're responsible. Um... And uh, I just that that is something that I just wanted to bring up because it's something that kind of completely escaped me the first time that I read through this series. It was more just like, you know, the what was happening was what resonated with me as opposed to like the why uh, of, of everything that happened. And that felt a lot more powerful to me, especially in terms of like, you know, the racial inequality that's demonstrated in the series and and isn't uh, often honestly dealt with enough uh, like you uh, mentioned earlier with the Ishvalans not being as big a factor as they could be. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I wish I could add more. I wish I could like continue this conversation for a while. We could just go by like kind of like section by section arc by arc. Cause there's so much I would love to talk about. We haven't really talked about like Barry the chopper or so he's too he's he's a monster but he's so funny (laughs) um and like there's there's so many side characters i'd like to talk about we didn't really get to talk about the original greed uh we didn't really get to talk about like gluttony but like or envy but like legitimately we're gonna have to rush through a lot of series and as recap as it is uh so in summation you should definitely be reading uh, full metal alchemist if you have it like you you should just a hundred percent absolutely if you haven't read it in a while take this as your cue your opportunity to reread it enjoy it all over again you can know everything that happens in this series and still enjoy it like i was able to as i said like a lot of stuff i was able to be like okay i remember this happening this happening and every single time you're like fuck this is really satisfying uh like the moment of uh bradley at Hughes's funeral and he's like barely holding himself together and you're like oh and then you find out the reason why is he's like this fucking kid won't shut up and he's barely <laughs> containing his rage is such a satisfying reveal they're like you cried at Hughes's funeral he's like oh the fucking kid <laughs> so yeah to say, to say nothing of all the very sad stuff that happened prior to that oh god yeah it's a good fucking manga. Um, I think, you know, like I said, it's not in my, it's not suddenly my favorite series now, but I have a newfound appreciation for how incredibly good its quality is. And if you have any bone in your body that likes general, you know, like shonen action stuff that you've seen anything of in the last 25 years, give this a shot. Uh, you'll probably find something you like about it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Huh. All right, let's just really quick. Let's begin. <laughs> let's just real quick blast through. Oh, 12 chapters. Uh oh. Yep. Here we go. My Hero Academia, number 381. Dark. 
Uh, the Shiketsu High people have shown up. Shishikura, squinty eyes, fingers, dude, is very insistent that we know my dad was a prison guard in one of the prisons. And I'm just like, oh, I like you less now. <laughs> um... So a bunch of people are, you know, trying to, you know, make a difference in the battlefield. They make to know the fact that, oh, yeah, Toga's, you know, very much still a, a big dangerous factor. Uh, they have to, of course, deal with the original body of All for One as well. Uh, and uh, All for One's right. Like, OK, well, um, the only way I can steal a quirk is by touching the body. So I'm going to get overwhelmed by all these ranged attackers right now. Got to deal with them. Okay, Zorch, and he bezorches a bunch of people with this huge combination quirk attack. We see, you know, a number of like C tier characters uh, going ah, um, and uh, they're like, keep throwing stuff at him, shoot stuff at him, attack him, and everything. Uh, and all for one, honestly, becomes like a way more endearing character for a little bit because instead of being like, I've got everything under control, he's just like, fuck all you guys, I'm so powerful, you're all children. It's like, yeah, I I'm much more into a character who's just like, I've got all these quirks and I'm super powerful, fuck you guys, than like, ah, my multiple machinations, one of them is sure to come to fruition, and I'm in control of everything. It's like, so bored of that. Uh, and he talks about how, you know, he talks about in honestly nicely poetic language about how, how like you all grew up in the eras of heroes when heroes were getting big and the younger ones have grown up never knowing the dark ages when I was the ruler, my golden dark age. And I'm going to remind the entire world of, how, of all this stuff. Uh, Yo, Rashi says some stuff in response to it, but um, honestly, like he's not the important character in this chapter. So, okay like he doesn't do anything after saying this so he says a thing that sounds kind of nice and defiant yeah more more big attacks go off uh yorashi has is something like this vortex around all for one to try and contain him and other people are trying to insert attacks inside the vortex i guess uh and all for one says you know like look you know any of you who want to try and get close enough to finish me off you don't dare to do so because you know that i'll just steal your quirk if you try and do it so come and meet your fate and then a big darkness with eyes <gasps> appears behind him Nick, what hero is showing up this time it's fucking Tokoyami. Oh, someone who's already here. Never mind. Not interested. Oh, no. Who cares? <laughs> he was already here. Come on. It's got to be someone new or I don't care. Uh, and Tokoyami just says darkness comes in a range of shades. So you don't get to speak of the dark. And there's a flashback to baby Tokoyami with baby dark shadow keeping him company in bed. Does darkness really come in a form of shades? <laughs> I feel like, isn't that not what darkness is? All right, yeah, carry on. So, basically, because All for One was a dick and made it rain really hard, and so it got all cloudy, Dark Shadow has fed off of that and gotten super, super powerful. Uh, and Tokiami says, this is why I was chosen to support Hawks and Endeavor. I mean, I just thought it was because you were a Hawks sidekick, whatever. He releases his Dark Shadow to, quote-unquote, total release, uh, and he gets a tailwind boost from Hawks uh, and Yorashi as well. So, like, like Yorashi is 
blasting wind towards them and Hawks kind of just has his hand on Tokiomi's back to drive him forward and a massive fucking dark shadow punches the shit out of for one with an attack called Light of Balder which I'm all about. Hell yeah. <laughs> is, this, is this a good chapter? Name your attacks after demons. Hell yes. <laughs> Just a giant shadow bird punch itself for one. It's great. <laughs> I wish every chapter just had a new character show up to punch off one in the face and like it just gets progressively less like dramatic who it is. It's just like character. I guess it's eventually like a line of characters being like, it's my turn to punch the old man now. Lucky comes over from PPPPPP to slap him. Yeah. Uh, oh, spoilers. He, he's got a good right hand on him. Um, yeah, this is a fun chapter. I, I'm not going crazy for like everybody else, but I'm glad Tokoyami uh, was not forgotten. Yes, yes, I think that's the main thing. I'm glad I got to do something in all of this. So, hooray. Uh, Nick, let's talk about Undead Unlock number 148. Third dog. Uh, and I'm going to move through this one relatively quickly. Uh, because it's such a weird we, title. We can condense this. Uh, hey, our heroes are here. They're going to protect everything now. Uh, we, we see the different ways it's happening. You know, uh, uh, Fuko is using her unluck bo- sniper bullets and, and getting these tanks destroyed. We see Yusei show up and use her on draw to basically smash a bunch of tank uh, things together. Uh, it's like, oh, she has an unbreakable katana now. She's very, very strong. Uh, Nico gets to kind of be like the human person there who's like, you did a lot of this really easily. This is crazy. Uh, we do get a glimpse that shows that Billy is kind of aware that this is happening, but he is not trustful of these people. He's like, this is a third group coming in and all this, so I have to protect them. A third dog can, you know, carry the bone away when two two dogs it's fight. Such, such a weird <laughs> Well, Nick, it, it, is, it is not going to be the weirdest line written in this chapter. No, I guess out. not. Uh, uh, I, before we move on, I just want to note that Gina is about to have dropped the hottest album of 2023 in this giant yes. group shot. <laughs> Absolutely. She is, she is, she is poised for something great. Uh, Fuko turns everybody's attention. She's like, hey, we need to start focusing because the undecreased tragedy is about to happen and we need to prepare ourselves for how to counter it. Creed shows up. He f- literally rides up on a motorcycle, drops his grenades. Fuko's like, keep him from pulling those pins out with the undraw, but he's already done it. He already knows something's kind of happening. You know, he lands, he has his like a mini gun with him, and he's like, get out of here, boys. I'll cover for you. I don't know why it sounds like that. But we get like a flashback. I don't know, with a cr- name like Creed Deckard, I could buy him something like that. Yeah. Uh, we get a little flashback to show you, you know, when he was being recruited by uh, bad military people, question mark. Uh, they were just they just don't care, Nick. None of them care about the boys on the field. Uh, so they're like, hey, look, you know, we're going to we're going to supply you with ammunitions and this so all this sort of stuff. But look, you're here for us. We we need this weapon. So. You guys cannot leave until you finish your objective. Eliminate 100 troops and fight until you've expended all of your ammo. Uh, and Creed is like firing his minigun. He's just trying to hold them off. And he's like, oh, what's going on? They have some invisible barrier. Well, whatever. I'll fire off every shot. And then my men and like whatever military person's like, 
uh, I believe we had a deal. You couldn't leave until you fired off every single round. And you have plenty of ammo left, don't you? And undecrease has activated. So This is so dumb. This is so stupid. <laughs> He's like, this oh. Is, this, this is the worst. <laughs> He's just like, what? I can't stop firing. Let Just take my men with you. They're like, no, nope, we had a deal. Not until you finished all no. of your ammo. And, and Creed says the line, rat bastards, a life that's been fully decreased can't be replenished. And he screams into the air as undecrease activates. But hey, they're like, all right, it's time. Boom. Mr. Shin shows up, drops two unbreakable shields. And they're like, don't worry. It's fine. Like, if you won't ever stop, run out of bullets because we have an unbreakable wall. And uh, that's how the chapter ends. Uh, it's fucking wild. I have heard so many people are like, this is so dumb. This is so stupid. What a dumb backstory. They are right. I love <laughs> I love it. Yoshifumi Tezuka has clearly been writing things like backwards, uh, you know, since this series has kind of gained momentum and there's a lot of things that like retroactively have been established. It has to now be like, I have to do something with this. We talked about like, a tragedy boy. for everyone. Yeah. And like, at some point he was like, oh, fuck, do I make how a do tragedy? I make a, how do I make a tragedy? Like made the power before they thought of the backstory and is now like, I have to fucking make a compelling. And you know what? Look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you this is the, the, you know, uh, the next great piece of literature, (laughs) but I kind of love how dumb and hokey it is where he's just like, oh, they won't take my boys back home unless I fire every bullet, but I can't. Don't you understand a life that's been fully decreased to never come back? And you're like, what human would talk like this? Even if you knew that you were undecreased. That's not a phrase. Which he doesn't know, right? Oh my god. I just imagine some of the other tragedies that we've seen, and if they instead had the nature that we have here of someone like telling them beforehand, now top, if you try and stop, but you keep running, I'll kill all your friends. (laughs) Just like the very specific of the of the backs of the uh, bad side of their now it, it's... Andy if you try and die but don't then I'll kill everyone you love it's great because like we just went from last week where we got like a compelling sad backstory with Tella where you're like oh I, I feel for this person like I see their tragedy I understand it excellent and then this week where you're just like Okay, I'll go along with it. <laughs> like, fair enough. You had to do a tragedy for all of them. And I'll admit, Undecrease was going to be one of the harder ones. All right. I, th- I think I think that uh, the professor is telling us that our time for the series is up. So, uh, Professor Peanuts we'll gives it five paws out of five. That's him. High five in the camera. He wants down. Okay, now. awesome. Akai Banashi, story 51, Goldfish. So this is a story about, oh, who could it possibly be? It's a blonde guy. How many of those have we met so far? <laughs> it's uh, it's a, uh, it's Kaisei. 
That's his <gasps> name, right, guys? Eh? It's... I, I don't know why you're asking me. <laughs> I, it, it's 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 uh, it's it's Akane's rifle, dude. Yeah. So I, I believe it's I believe his name's Kaisei. Schwadorven Schmebel. So uh, we get a little bit of him in like his his home at the start of this. He's got a goldfish in a bowl. Why? Well, transition flashback. Uh, someone at a bar that his mom works at orders a goldfish, which is a, a type of uh, cocktail. Uh, and uh, so who should the person be that's, that's ordering the cocktail? Why it's Isho Arakawa, whom um, Kaisei finds to be kind of annoying because he like never pays his tab. He's always just kind of like, not, he always leaves without paying. And so he says to his mom, like, hey, he never pays. Why do you keep on serving him here? And she says, oh, well, he'll pay me eventually. Everything will work out. Uh, and she's, you know, kind of like absent minded. She underplays everything, even though he's really worried about stuff. And she's like, it'll be fine. Everything will be fine. And uh, he, you know, just thinks to himself, she's always that way. You know, no matter what the situation is, if it's something as minor as like, oh, I skin my knee, she'll be like, it's fine. Everything's fine. Or when she's really hungover, it's fine. Or when my dad stopped paying child support, when she had to take over the bar. When people make rude, horrible comments about how, you know, the per- the life that she has to live where she's looking after me and she works the nightlife stuff, she always just shakes it up and says, it's fine. Uh, and her explanation to him is just like, hey, look, bad things happen. Good things happen, too. Mm-hmm. And there's a saying, fortune and twice. She doesn't oh, know the it's, expression. It's, it's, it's me. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so and her son has to say is like fortune and misfortune are intertwined. That's it. <laughs> um, it gets to a point even when you know, like she's bedridden, uh, <gasps> her, her health fails her because she's been pushing herself so hard. Uh, she's got some sort of illness, uh, and she's like, oh, "I'll be okay. It's not untreatable. Uh, I was just kind of working too hard. Don't don't be so sad. It'll be fine." And so. I say, like, tried to call up his dad, uh, who offered, who didn't even answer the phone, heard the number that he had is inactive, d- didn't bother to help out. They've still got bills to pay. So he tried to, you know, find a way to make money, but he was still a kid. So, you know, what was he going to do? Um, and so he was just, fe- he just felt completely helpless because he couldn't even, you know, not only could he not help her financially with her problem, but he couldn't even learn from her example. He couldn't tell her when she, you know, needed some reassurance that everything's going to be okay. Uh, and so right when he felt like he was at his breaking point, suddenly Isho comes in and he just says, there you are here. I'm here to pay my tab and just dumps a paper bag full of money uh, in front of them. Uh, and, just, and he just says, I don't really know you know, how much I owe you, but that should cover it. And of course, it's like enough to cover her, her medical expenses, whole cloth. And she says, why are you giving me so much? And he show says, well, don't get the wrong idea. That's not for you. It's for the goldfish that you served at the bar. I need you around so I can have my favorite drink. So... Um, <laughs> But, you know, even though this is a kind of callous way of going about it, uh, he did, you know, in a way, kind of save her freaking life. So she's thankful for it. And he says, like, yeah, you look much better now. You should be fine now. Um, And then when he went to leave, because they followed after him and said, hey, how did you make all that money? 
And Isho just says, I just sit on a cushion and talk. That's it. <laughs> just very undercutting all the art of what he does. Uh, and he says, like, yeah, you can make good money doing that when you're a Rakugoka. Uh, and so that was a big reason why he decided to do that was so that he could no longer be weak and powerless so that he could have a way to support the people that he cared about by doing something of value. Uh, which he refers to as a weapon that he gained. Um, and imagine it as a freaking hatchet, but you know, whatever you want to, however you want to imagine. Yeah, skills, he's I'm got sure. it. He's got it. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, so yeah, he is back in the present and, uh, we see that Akana has just finished up a performance, uh, but she realizes, like, after her performance, like, oh, man, there's a lot of people still trickling in. There's just flooding into it. And then her eyes catch Kaisei, and she says, oh, well, why? Like, why are you here? And she says, oh, that's a pretty cold reception, especially for someone who's come bearing fascinating news oh. for you. Ooh, intrigue. Uh, this is an interesting chapter. I'm I'm curious to find out really like what the context of this backstory is in relation to his sort of approach to Rakugo, because um, it does underst- it does make you understand why he would feel like interested in a show as a person because he's like this guy just like saved my mom's life, and he somehow does it just by sitting on a thing talking. But it is it does feel like I'm waiting for like the thing that like connects the dot as to like how that informs the way he tells his stories and everything like that. Mm-hmm. So I am, I'm, I'm very curious to see that, but this is, this is like a neat little story and it makes sense. We can't immediately move into whatever his name is. Roku, Ga, whatever the, the basically Akane's peer who's like at the top of the game. Like we need to kind of settle some stuff with this rival before we can move into that. Hmm. Yeah, uh, I also like how Icho Arakawa, despite the fact that, you know, he very charitably saves a woman's life, is just, <laughs> he's still he just he's just kind of an asshole. <laughs> so. All right, Blue Box, Chapter 90. They're one and the same. I'm gonna be back uh, so, Taiki and Matsuoka are... Uh, doing their shuttle runs to try and compete for the ticket. Uh, looks like Taiki is more tired than Matsuoka is. Uh, and he says, hey, why don't we raise the stakes? If you lose this contest, how about you give up on Natsu? And Taiki like, looks at him in shock for a second and then he makes his turn. He's like, I'm not going to agree to that. <laughs> like, good, good for you, dude. You made, you made the decision to like, okay, I'll like go for a ticket against this guy. I'm not just going to like give up on a girl I like because of some stupid contest. Um, and, uh, Matsuoka, you know, still says like, yeah, it'll still be embarrassing for you if you lose to me here though. Meanwhile, Jinatsu is talking with Yumika and she, you know, is continuing on from how, like, she has just learned that Yumika, you know, started going to a different school when her parents got divorced. Uh, and she says like, you never tell me anything. Uh, and then she realizes, however, like, wait a minute. So you work at this dental place. So that means that Taiki already knew you worked here. So she asks, like, okay, so did you change schools because of what happened with your parents? And she says, no, nah, I didn't have anything to do with it. But Shinatsu still sticks on it and says, like, look, I wish you'd talk to me about this. I mean, like, I can't force you to talk to me about things just because we're friends. You know, I don't know how you feel. It's your life. So what 
can I do? Uh, and uh, Yumika starts to get frustrated over, you know, over this as Janice is like, like, okay, I'm sorry for distracting and starts to leave. But Yumika is like, well, how the hell could I tell you about this? Like, I couldn't just reveal my shortcomings to you. I was your hero. Like, I understand that we were friends and we had good times, but you saw me first and foremost as your teammate who's good at basketball. You admired me and relied on me. And at first, you know, that made me happy. But then as time went on, my passion for basketball died down. Janasu accuses her of lying. But then she says, look, I'm not actually that impressive. I was always thinking about skipping practice. And I, when I realized that talent didn't mean anything, I just wanted to get out of there. I wanted to escape basketball. You were actually my hero because you never felt like ditching practice. And you were so dedicated to what you were supposed to do. And I was ashamed of myself because I wasn't. And I grew to hate you. And how was I supposed to tell you that? Uh, then she brutal, brings up... Brutal line. Yeah. Then she brings up, like, I, look, I saw you uh, the day after our final game in junior high, how you were practicing all by yourself. And at the time... I wasn't playing all that well. I kind of felt liberated that it was just over, but you kept on going. And Shinatsu thinks back to when Taiki, you know, talked to her about that moment and when he saw her and he says, like, I just thought of how hard you must have worked only to feel that crushed. And Yumika's like, and that's why I was shocked that you were, you know, alone with a boy. You know, I, I felt so defeated back then. And I didn't think you were the kind of person who would pay attention to other things besides basketball because you were so absorbed in your practice. That's who you are. And Chinatsu says, you're wrong. He's not some other thing. To me, they're one and the same. After you quit, the goal I'd been chasing, the person I could depend on most, vanished, and I felt alone. Dominating the nation is a far-off dream, and I felt unsure about whether all that practice was worth it. And when I'm feeling discouraged, he makes me feel empowered. Because I have someone like him, I can keep trying my best. Aww! <laughs> I mean, this is, like, she's... It, you can tell, like, as in this final picture, which is beautiful. It's just Chinatsu like being really emotional while she makes this declaration about her relationship and very true feelings for Taiki, which aren't necessarily romantic, but just, you know, confessing that someone is that important to you has got to be, you know, an incredibly emotional thing to do. She's, you know, flustered. She's got tears at the brims of brims of her eyes. Uh, and it's just a really cool, powerful moment uh i love it yeah makes you wish you were like a teenager again like that's definitely like you're like ah oh, there's a youth there i can't hear you for some reason oh yeah do i need to did i, did I bump something yeah I can why hear, can't i hear I you i can hear you can i hello i may have to drop out of the call for okay. a second Hang on. well in the interim uh yeah i was gonna say everybody else okay uh in the interim of course it's fucking one image that cups over 
Uh, good chapter. Fun stuff. Yep. Can you hear me? Yep. I just needed to drop out and come back in. <laughs> there we go. That's that's how science works sometimes. Yep. Um, good stuff from Blue yeah. Box. Very, very Great good. Stuff. All right, Quinn. Yes, yes, yes. More! I love this chapter. <laughs> chapter 13, to hide the solution in a smile. Great, um, great chapter title already. Off to a great start. Not nearly insane enough for PP for Cypher Academy. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. All right, so it's Iroha's first time being the questioner in a code battle, and uh, he put the code in a musical staff, and we actually opened this chapter with him playing it on the piano. Iroha, a boy of multiple hidden talents. I was going to say, he's, he's a dancer, he's a piano player. Mm-hmm. So he has just played for Nohime with the stakes being that if uh, he wins, then uh, the punishment game for Toshisai is null and void. But if he loses, then he has to change his catchphrase. Le gasp! Uh, so um, Nohime is, you know, applauds at the end of his playing and just like, all right, when did you notice I was going blind? And it's just like, oh, this is like the third page of this. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> excuse me <laughs> um and uh you know there's a few people who are shocked by this and she says like look it's not like a super widely known thing but it's not like something i keep a secret so when did you figure that out and iroha says it was when i was in the classroom before i was literally standing right in front of you and you weren't really sure who i was which makes sense considering you know Iroha's the only boy in his class, so he's kind of got a reputation at this point uh -huh. in his class, in the school. So it does it is kind of weird that she wouldn't like recognize him if he's standing literally right in front of her desk. Um, so he thinks, like, I mean, I thought for a second maybe it meant that you didn't know my name, but like you did the seating the tetronomy successfully. So you have to know my name. Uh, so the only thing I can figure is that you couldn't see me. And uh Nohime says. As she opens her eyes for the first time and reveals artificial eyes, in the past I looked directly at a dazzling code. And that said, thanks to a certain inventor's glasses weapon, it's not like I've completely lost my sight. It's the idea that she was like, I looked upon a crossword puzzle so <laughs> fucking wild, I stopped being able to see. It's just a line she throws out there. She was like, I was looking at a Sudoku puzzle and I was like, oh, 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 my eyes are gone. I can't see anymore. And she just drops that line as casually as though it were anything else about her. And I love also, this chapter so much. Also, Kagoe made me artificial eyes, apparently. So. You got it. There's got to be different ways to do eyes. Or right? contacts. Maybe they're contacts. Could Sorry. Contacts, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, but she asked Iroha, why'd you do a music-based code, considering that, you know, you were so angry about the way I, I treated others. And Iroha just says, like, look, even if I was trampled on by someone, I would never be willing to step onto the wrong path. And Nohime... Um, smiles. Uh, it's her nose disappears when she smiles. Yeah, it is a terrifying <laughs> visual, but it's weird because I think the implication we're supposed to get is that it's like not evil. Well, it's evil, but not like I don't know. I don't know how to read it based off the way the chapter goes. 
I mean, like everyone around her is me like, oh, she just smiled weird. And she goes, oh, sorry for smiling weird. That's not very proper of me. So it's a bit of a weird thing. Yeah. Um, so she does some like immediate like musical reference dropping. Uh, and she says like, oh, you were talking about like this was going to be like a revolution of the masses, but you've actually like separated your emotion from your reason. So I, I feel like I've misjudged you. So, I will not misread your code. Ready to change your catchphrase? For the musical performance, convert it to sheet music. Each measure has four beats. And Toshusai, for some reason, gets a two-page spread as she just shows up yes. and says, that's enough. Nick, not only does Toshusai shows up, she is now wearing an extra jacket layer over top. She has taken another step forward into just being Kaiba. I, Kuro Toshusai, am taking over this code battle. It's... Fucking cool. I don't know why. It's so stupid. I loved every second of it. Just like Yugi took over the duel against against my stepbrother Noah in the virtual world, I'll be taking over this code battle. <laughs> this is my fight now, Yugi. <laughs> um there's some like, you know, peanut gallery reactions over Toshisai's sudden appearance. Uh, and uh, she's a, and she says, "How's it going, Hirohazaka kun Not very well, I imagine. <laughs> I hear a gentleman got angry over a poor girl whose dignity was compromised. She's so pissed off. She is, <laughs> is furious. How fucking dare you, White Knight, for me? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and but Hirohazaka's like. I'm just angry because my friend was made a fool of. I don't, it's not like I, it, it has nothing to do with, you know, you being a, a lady or anything. And to, Toshisai says, a friend? Well, thank you. That's very nice. <laughs> yeah, it's, I love the page turn. A friend? Thank you for finally accepting my friendship. <laughs> she, put, she puts her hand on his head like, oh, thank you. That means a lot to me. Oh, that's a turn. <laughs> She turns to Nohime, uh, arms crossed with the jacket slung over her shoulders, uh, and she Such immediately is taking Hiro the declaration of friendship in stride, saying, my friend jumped at the gun. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, but uh, Nohime says, like, look, it's okay. I mean, look, the real problem is that you've kept on doing this punishment game thing, for a contest I beat you in when we were in kindergarten. <laughs> She's so fucking metal to her fucking promises. She's like, I lost a contest in kindergarten, so 11 years later, I still gotta say 10 butt-related things a day. Yep, and she works on it right away. It's like, I guess I've been too much of a tight ass. Oh my god, I fucking hate her and I love her in that moment where you just wanted to be like, alright, calm down, Okay. <laughs> take it easy uh so yeah Iroha gets the explanation of like look they were childhood friends and I don't know what Tayu told you but the rear end punishment thing it was just a little game between kids doing a wager so Iroha's like I'm so sorry I I acted on information very rashly and rushed to conclusions uh so look if if you want me to change my catchphrase then I'll do it and no he must say it's like look it's fine look uh to avoid factual infighting, I led you into a code battle between individuals. 
A noble could never seriously impose that kind of penalty. And Tosh says, like, oh, really? <laughs> Is this really a revelation? <laughs> Wait, you mean I don't have to keep on doing this? <laughs> Uh, the explanation of the of the code is that if you separate out the notes of the song into like columns of two, then they become Morse code. Okay, sure. Um, we get to our favorite part of the P- of the uh, Cipher yeah. Academy chapter where you're just like, all right, sure. Uh, which translates to you apologize to Kyora for us uh which is and she says like oh i'm very happy that you decided to you know uh ins- make the substitution of ass to us the much less crass word and you're always like oh that was just a mistake <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it felt very fitting for this punishment and she says you know, but the thing that really impressed me, Aroha, is the spirit of chivalry composing a code in music and braille it could be conceived as a slap to the face for you to try to win against me under fair conditions, though. I've taken a liking to you, Iroha Hozaka, cups his head like a fortune ball, like a, a crystal glo- ball, and says, Our family will invest 100 million more in you. <laughs> like, what, what does this mean? What do you mean? <laughs> um... Apparently, this is the highest amount I've ever heard of, except for Horogatoge with Kagoe. So everyone's like, oh my god, doesn't it feel like it's getting closer to reality? Irohi Irohosaka's dream to end all wars in the world? Because now he has a patron and a backer in Toshisai and an alliance with the girls that he that he worked with and the latest weapons. And he could acquire rank and position in the, in the private sergeant thing. So it could happen. I don't want to jump to conclusions, guys. Pretty sure PvPPP is gonna, you know, be like our second of like three series ending in this cycle, I think. And I don't think Cypher Academy is gonna be another one. But watch out for it in the next one. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea where this necessarily goes because if it doesn't get canceled in this one, it's not gonna get canceled for a couple months after that. So right, we right. really had to spin our wheels for a while if this was meant to be like an end game moment or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, it's just it. Well, I guess let's finish the chapter. Yeah. Uh, Kagoe has a conversation privately with the teacher of Hiroha's class, whom she calls Shibori-chan, which means that, um, yeah, Kagoe is evil. Uh, she's like, she doesn't have respect for uh, anyone. Um, and she is actually, like, designing a lot of the teaching materials for the class. And the next part of the private selection uh, test is War Game Murder Mystery Murder at Cypher Academy. I like that there's a little note at the top title, Murder at Cypher Academy. (laughs) That's what it says the Japanese, yes. Uh, Yeah, it's uh, this is a dumb, fun chapter. Uh, That's (laughs) so, so over the top. Again, just the casual nature that Nohime just drops. I'm blind because I looked at a code so dazzling it damaged my eyes. Uh, I am not going to go out and say something as presumptuous as I did before. Where I'm like, I can't understand how anyone went like this. 
Uh, but you have to understand, this is exactly my level of so dumb it's good. Like, shonen over-the-top ridiculousness, Toshusai, who walks into every scene like her dog just fucking died and she knows you did it. But, like, doesn't always match that energy with her words. <laughs> like, like, so frequently will walk into a scene like, I'm fucking furious. Thanks for being my friend. <laughs> Crossing her arms, the two page spread that she gets of her coming in. That's far enough. <laughs> Again, the Kaiba coat really just adds such a layer to it. Like, I want her to be, she's so extra, and I, I'm here for every moment of it. When Cypher, if Cypher Academy gets canceled early, can we just like migrate Toshisai into some other yeah. series for her to just be super over the top? <laughs> Keep her butt gimmick for some reason where she just has to say, like, I'm a tight ass, like, they're a pain in my ass. Someone's going to stick yeah. up their butt. All right, let's uh, let's uh, dash through Ginka and Luna, chapter 23. Ginka versus Nosferatu. Uh, Nosferatu, uh, uh, seeing the bell being rung and warning to get people to go away, uh, just, you know, casts blades of wind at it and knocks the tower over with the kids still inside it. Luna catches him. He's safe. A bunch of people start floating up in the air as a result of Nosferatu's power, and he's like, give me your freaking magical energy. Also, he can talk while playing the flute at the same time. He's very talented. Uh, Ginka starts fighting him. He starts like just kind of like recapping and reiterating his villain backstory and stuff while occasionally Ginka makes comments like, I'm not your psychoanalyst. Stop it. You're all, this is all weird villain crap. Uh, the uh, he has like sound magic, which, you know, causes powerful vibrations and stuff. There's some cool effects where like, you know, as it's blasting Ginka, like the snow on his body is kind of like bubbling from the vibrations. So that's kind of neat. Uh, now, Sferatu drops on the kid. They're like, oh, you're the son of that guy who was really annoying me, asking me to take uh, you on as, as as my apprentice and stuff. By the way, your dad's dead now. <laughs> Reiterates that. Um, and uh, so Ginka is still there. And uh, Luton is like, hey, let me help. And Ginka's like, no, protect the civilians. And she's like, okay, then here. I don't know where she was carrying this around, but she throws a bound up thing towards Ginka and it's his staff. Oh, whoa, wow. I guess, I guess we're done. Uh, <laughs> so Ginka has his staff. Now he starts casting magic and then he turns it into a, a hammer that is also a treasure chest with chains out uh, coming out of it and also diamonds. And, um, Nosferatu's like, what the fuck is that thing? And Ginka swings the hammer and blasts straight through the evil thing that Nosferatu had summoned and also smashes Nosferatu in the face. And he's like, I've never felt so alive, but I can't let this end yet. And the thing that he's got dangling from his wrist falls off and it starts to crack open. But, um. Uh, yep. The series is going to be over like in one week or two. <laughs> so. well, we, know, we know nothing's ending next week. Um, but week after that, still, still real potential. Yeah. We shall see. We'll see. Quinn, <sighs> Nick, for the, for the final time, <gasps> I've got a puzzle for you. Okay. I mean, I'll probably give you a puzzle at some point in the future. Like, you know, but you know, anyway. Okay. I'm ready. I'm going to, I'm going to really zero in on this. Okay, here we go. Puppet Funakai. for... How'd you know? <laughs> no, carry on. 
What? How'd you know? What does Funakai? Yeah. I just said Funakai very quickly. <laughs> I'll give you the whole clue. <laughs> when I got it? Puppet for Pritchard's humor becomes Periwinkle Proprietary's primary press man. <laughs> I was just like, I don't know, gotta get Funakai in there somewhere. <laughs> Funaki, I can't even remember who's actually. It's Funaki. In my mind. Oh my gosh. Uh, Funaki was a great guest. Uh, I say it one more time because that was an excellent one. <laughs> the puppet for Pritchard's humor becomes Periwinkle Proprietary's primary pressman. Periwinkle Proprietary's pressman. So that was the blue SmackDown number one announcer. SmackDown number one announcer, Funaki. Oh. Which is a fantastic gimmick fantastic uh i have a wrestler for you nick okay this may be the last time ever maybe maybe Maybe. so seven repeats is a lot on the line (laughs) no (laughs) (laughs) i just one minute nick can you guess the wrestler are you ready yes go is it (laughs) finaki it is not all right uh, are they an active wrestler uh not really Okay. Are they like a part-timer currently? Uh, no, not right. No, okay. They might still wrestle. No. But no. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, did they last wrestle predominantly in WWE? Yes. Okay, was that within the last 10 years? Yes. Okay. Uh, were they a world champion in WWE? No. Uh, is this a male? Yes. Okay. Did they ever win a tag team championship? No. Okay. Uh, did they ever win any championships in WWE? Yes. Okay. Uh, Intercontinental? No. Mm-hmm. No. US? No. Hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Um, were they part of a big stable? Uh, not really, no. Not really. Okay. All right. Not really. I'll give I'll, I'll I'll give the clue in when I say not really they're part of a a notable tag team but the tag team never won the world championship or the tag team championships. Okay, okay. Hmm. No, he wrestles, so it can't be them. I was gonna, I was about to say the name of a person that I really don't like but it can't no, be them no no i don't i don't it can't think be he, them yeah uh, okay this is the last one and i know we don't have a whole lot of time before we have to get through like five series and four of them are double up so <laughs> it's all good <sighs> is it no no they won they won them Tag Team Championship. Oh, this is so hard. (laughs) (laughs) I was just like, God, I'm running out of... Would it help if I told you the championship they did win? Yeah, that would. Uh, The WWE 24-7 Championship. Okay, that does actually help a little bit. (laughs) There you Wait, is it Tucker? <laughs> it's Tucker again. <laughs> Why did you do Tucker again? Because it's a full circle. 
we may not do it again. Let's go back to the most iconic. Nick, don't forget about Tucker. I'm telling you, even when I've done him, keep him in your mind. Well, you couldn't fool me twice. <laughs> I'm glad that after a little bit of that, I was like, when did you do Tucker again? <laughs> My worry is that you were going to get something different, and I was going to be like, I'm sorry, Nick, it's just Tucker again. <laughs> uh, people I almost guessed but didn't were Enzo Amore <laughs> And Titus O'Neil. <laughs> it was like, no way, Titus did win the tag team championships for some reason. <laughs> they eventually got them. You couldn't get the primetime players down for that long. It unfortunately happened right when the New Day were getting big. And it was like, why are they the champions right now? <laughs> okay, guys, it's the last chapter of PPPPPP. We were talking about this last week, like, holy shit. How, what direction is this going to go in? Are we going to wrap anything up? No, not really. We do get a very important bit of closure. But that's kind of it. Um, So, final chapter, Lucky. The other Lucky approaches the spotlight in, like, the inner Lucky universe, where Lucky is standing. And Lucky says to his other self, I get it. If I'm here, that means, oh, this body chose me and I've kept you locked up here. So why am I here? Because all seven of us have to play piano together. Making dreams come true is a good thing. So just let me out because this is where you belong. And the other Lucky says, no, that ends now. I'm the one who's been chosen now. And I'm going to lock you up in here. And the, the primary Lucky Prime says, you can't do that. Uh, and uh, other lucky says, whoa, ha ha ha, and points and says, you've always denied me that way, but it looks like I'm needed for this body to live. I can't think like you. Allow me to ask you one last question, because he goes all negative and creepy in this second. And he says, what do you think of me? And Lucky Prime says, well, I think that you're no good. Something's wrong with you. But I can use you if it suits me. Hey, why didn't you show up when we had the four-on-four battle? I could have gotten closer to my dream if you did that. And the other Lucky says, Well then, the days of miracles are over. And we get like flashes of like some of the highlights of the series. Uh, Lucky meeting Furusu, making good with Reijiro, Mimin uh, getting okay. Fanta being a dick and Sora Chica being creepy. And the other Lucky says, the curtain's falling. I won't use you. Your existence has enough meeting. Guilt, remorse, that's what you are to me starting today. And he steps forward, grabs the original Lucky by the wrists, and tosses him out of the spotlight, steps into it, and the light goes out. In the real world, Lucky with other Lucky as the primary personality is standing across from his father. And he says to himself, he thinks to himself, oh, he I has, finally get he to has meet the him. same eyes as well. You'll notice he has like the piano mm-hmm. slit eyes. Yes. The piano thinks, gan or whatever we'd call it. <laughs> piano gan. <laughs> uh, but he says, but dad, you hit me. This is my chance to get him back to hit 
my precious dad with my precious hands. It's wrong <laughs> to hit a parent. It's important to respect your parents. It's worse for a parent to hit their child. And Gakwan starts to say to Lucky, who is getting warmed up, and you just approaches him and says, Welcome home. And Lucky goes, I'm home, boy! Looks him across the face. End of series. Finn credits. No more. That's it. <laughs> All right. It's, this is like, this is such a, a difficult chapter to like consume because it is hard not to read this as sort of almost like a for like a, a form of bad ending because I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that like uh, genius Lucky takes over because I, I think there was very much a clear idea that like Lucky Prime or you know what Miracle Lucky whatever you want to call him um, was running out of like real room to stand on uh, like their dream. It was done. The mom's gone. Like it's never going to yeah. happen. Um, there, they weren't able to fully convince uh, Fanta of their ways. Uh, Sora Chica had very clearly like sort of set like you're not on my level. Um, it was clear that like Lucky needed to do something else, and 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 like accessing Genius Lucky is like a like a, a way this story would have gone. But the way it's portrayed here, it doesn't sound like there's going to be an any kind of give or take it sounds like that nope. lucky is gone and only exists as something for genius lucky to look upon as motivation to just be like all of this grief that you failed to like deal with i will now utilize in my genius music playing essentially and the only relationship sort of catharsis we get then of that res uh that resolution is him being like, I'm going to punch my dad, <laughs> which yeah. is like sort of satisfying. But like, that's just the end of it. That's like there is no continuation um, unless like we get like, you know, an extra chapter in the volumes or something like that. Yeah, it's crazy uh, to see a series just end this way. No. And they had many more adventures. No, you know, positive outlook towards the future is like, no, the, you know, <laughs> The QB took over Naruto's body and is promising <laughs> to stay in control of it forever. Uh, and that's just kind of like, I guess what happens when you have a series where the hero is at their lowest moment when the series gets canceled, basically. Uh, so, look, PPP, PPP was a very interesting series to have as part of the recap. Uh, it led to me doing a bit that I greatly underestimated how long I would have to carry it on for. Not since Unahana is dead and never coming back have I so <laughs> underestimated how much I would have to stick to a gimmick. Uh, but uh, here we are uh, a year later, uh, and it's been an interesting ride that frequently had some beautiful moments, some very gut-punching chapters that I'm glad that we've gotten to experience together. And also... I'm glad to know that Mamin and Maloli are vacationing in the Amazon yeah. being girlfriends. Uh, that's just that, that as far as I'm concerned, good ending for the series. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah. If you want to get like an ending chapter for the series, just read that chapter again. It was basically a, a, a conclusion. 
Also, I do like, despite the the horror of like, oh man, the like the the genius personality is just like in control now. I do love how they're just like cracking knuckles, walking up to Gakwana. He's just no, no suspicion of what's gonna happen. While he's like, <laughs> yeah, like so. <laughs> um, it was it was very good. Um, good stuff. Uh, we do have to move on. So, uh, yep. let's- Mashal. Let's move on to two chapters of Mashal Magic and Muscle, starting with chapter 144, Mash Burn Dead and the Desperate Straits. Uh, so, uh-oh, the eclipse has happened. All the hearts we see there get slurped up inside of uh, Innocent Zero, and he's like, I'm super powerful, and we get a big full-page spread of Innocent Zero hovering there in all of his glory. The art is legitimately in beyond incredible. It's so crazy. It's gorgeous. <laughs> uh, he has the great line of, you might notice a slight change in me. As it's he has, so funny. <laughs> he has eyes across his chest and sternum <laughs> and giant angel wings now. And also just like random, like, crystals growing out of his shoulders. Yeah. Uh, Mash responds with, oh, is he finally done? <laughs> uh, everyone's like, is that all he has? Mash goes to punch him. He's like, all right, here we go. And there's just like a the, the sidestep super fast move. And Mash goes down as Innocent Zero is clutching his heart. And even Mash is like, huh? Everyone else watching is like, what? And Mash falls to the ground. He's like, Last heart is mine. I did it. Not going to attain my perfect form. I just ripped it straight out of his body. No one yeah, no one can stand against me. Live as my slaves or die. And then Mash gets up and starts fighting Innocent Zero. And he's like, what the fuck? He kicks Mash away. He's like, humans can maintain consciousness for up to three minutes after their heart stops. But even though the heart has been removed and he's still moving, what life force does he have? And Mash has now been like impaled to the wall with clock hands, and everyone's just like, "Oh no!" And Mash is like, "I never got to try the new flavors of Goblin Cream Puffs Winter Menu." <laughs> and everyone, like, the joke is like, "What kind of last words are that?" But everyone's like, "Oh my god!" And, like Mash is dead, yeah. <laughs> uh, which moves us into chapter one. 45 of Mashal Magic and Muscles, Mash Bird Dead, and the Secret Savior. So everyone's like, holy crap, Mash is down. Innocent Zero is like, he's dead, but is this sweat? Like, what's going on? You know what? I'm just going to destroy his body. I mean, who knows what he could possibly do. Uh, when like there's like a, a throw from far away, and I forget this, Ochoa, I think is his name gets thrown up by Melia Duel into Innocent Zero. He's like... Yeah. She's like, I've got to do something. You know, they're up on a castle floating in the sky. So you go do something. It just throws him up there. Because, yeah. Uh, so, Ochoa's like, ah, ah, let me help you destroy the world, please! And he just starts punching Mash. He's just the worst. <laughs> he sucks so much. He's like, how dare you get an innocent Zero's way? And he starts spitting on him and shit. And he's like, see, I'll do anything for you. And innocent Zero's like, okay, fine. Use this rock to smash in mass burn dead's face. And Ochoa's like, oh, do it? 
Oh, he's dead. So that makes it okay. Speaking of just, <laughs> no, he's actually doing. He's just about to smash Rash's head, in. but something hits him, and he goes fine. And we see a cream puff hit the ground. Nick, and he's like, "How? Mashburn dead is gone, and you useless fool!" And he slaps the cho away. He's like, "Fine, they must be nearby." Another shot goes by, and he's blocking it. He's like, "Who dares stand in my way?" And we cut over. And we see that the rest of the gang has basically rescued Mash. And they're like, holy shit. He's lost his heart, but he is still breathing. Like, his will to live is insane. We have to, f- like, flee. We have to get Mash over to Million Duel. Like, we-, we need to, like, get this going. But the real surprise here was our unexpected savior. And uh, it's uh, called Ogahenna, I believe, who's like, we hope you're able to buy us time. And we cut back to this at zero, and there's all these, like, attacks hitting him. And he's just like, this power is beyond that of any ordinary magic user. But I see you. And he blocks an attack that, like, turns to water in his hands. He's like, ah, so it is you. And uh, we see the figure approaching, saying, Mash, burn dead. You rescued me from the darkness. And now it's my turn to save you. And who should be there, Nick? But the sixth son, Domina. Remember Domina, yep. Nick? Yeah, I've mashed it a bucket brigade in order to beat him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's uh, that's basically the end of the chapter, is Domina is going to try to hold him off. Uh, meanwhile, Melia Duel is, like, dashing to try to save Mash. Uh, you can see that, like, Lemon God Lover is trying to run as well, but Melia Duel's just immediately outpaced her oh yeah um also finn has been using his ability to try and heal mash but yes. it's like my oh, dude his heart's gone he doesn't like, have a heart so yeah <laughs> uh so he's doing his best yeah let's talk a bit about the elusive samurai so starting with chapter 98 hojo peace 1335 tokyuki wakes up in his home he can't believe it uh he gets to you know dine on saltwater fish uh for fresh for the first time in forever uh but uh he says like but it reminds him of the time that you know his his friends you know caught the sea bream for him and he's like hey guys thank you for helping me when i had nothing it's very nice it's like yeah he doesn't he hasn't forgotten you know how far he's come and where he was prior to this uh but the troops bow before tokiyuki when he comes out and greets them and he's expresses gratitude for all their efforts and he, you know, tells him like, "Look, I know we don't have a lot of experience, but I hold one hope that the people, warriors, courtiers, will create a world where no one has to die needlessly." Oh, Tokiyuki. Ah, so. <laughs> uh, and there's also like, you know, just like people observing, like it's kind of a natural leader, but that's because you know he grew up around like kings and lords and stuff, so he just kind of knows how to just behave the right way and everything. Uh, a number of people uh, from, you know, the Hojo home greet him uh, and he's reunited with a number of people who, you know, have seen him grow uh, and and everything. There's a bunch of like paperwork that needs to be done, which the Asuye and and uh, and uh, Yurishige both uh, have to work on. Uh, Tokyuki also goes to visit uh, his family's graves and uh a guy called Kenkohoshi, uh, a bizarre, suspicious-looking monk, uh, is there, and um, we're introduced to him. Yep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
he he's also famous because po- poems and he wrote stuff it's like he knows Tokiyuki. All right, goodbye, historical cameo. Goodbye. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know the series is entirely historical, but it is very funny. The idea of like, thank you for the history lesson, Mr. Lincoln. Now I'm back off on my adventure. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, so took and then took you. He's like, guys, I want to take you all to, 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 to meet someone. They're like, OK. And uh, that brings us to chapter 99, Smithery. Uh, but as Tokyuki is leading people somewhere, uh, he trips and falls, and oh my gosh, a creepy-looking woman uh, is, is like is gonna like kick him in the neck. But in fact, she actually like lifts his foot up with her his head up with her foot, and then kind of props him up on the knee. And she says, "Oh, I'm sorry for doing it this way, but my hands aren't really useful." And they look closely at her hands, which she's carrying like some big heavy things in, but she's doing it by like pressing against the undersides because she doesn't have fingers. <gasps> it turns out she was a swordswoman uh, and she was trying to uh, guard her master long enough so that he could commit seppuku and die it with honor. But, quote, before I could slay even 20 enemies, uh, she got struck on the fingers, like on her sword handle, uh, and it chopped her fingers off. So she can't wield a sword anymore. Ah! Um, and uh, she explains, like, look, I considered, you know, actually just, like, taking my own life, but I couldn't help but want to just hold a sword again. And so everyone's like, well, but there's... Nah. And so Tokiki's like, I bet you can do something. And so he uh, he takes her to see a smithy. Not just any smithy, though. It's Masamune. That Masamune, the the, the the that Masamune who does the sword things, uh, and uh, he's got a bunch of like facial markings and stuff. So uh, he immediately sizes up uh, the girl that they have met and is like, "Hmm, yeah, I know, I know, I've got a sharp idea." Yep. Uh, and uh, basically, the, he crafts a leg sword for her because he's like yeah she's got really strong legs and also i made these like gauntlets that have built-in fingers in them and stuff they gave her a haircut because her hair was getting all long and straggly and uh so she can kick with the sword stuff and she's very overcome with emotion like i can fight again she's very happy uh and then uh masamune turns to ayako and kojiro and he just says hmm it's so interesting try and kill each other i'll make something for the one who deserves it okay uh yeah that sure is a way to like end the chapter (laughs) um so like yeah there's this new character uh and she's just kind of like abruptly introduced into the story uh and given like a whole backstory and then like hey we're gonna solve your problem in the same chapter you're introduced in and I like I feel like I'm go like I wanna like this character because her backstory is interesting and like I think her aesthetic is kind of cool. Um but it is just a thing that happens very quickly and then the chapter ends with Masabude being like, You two fight each other to the death. <laughs> and you're like, Why I'll make a cool sword for the winner. <laughs> you're like, what is happening? What what am I reading? What what was Fight chapter? to the Death, children? Come on! <laughs> just very strange like i i know we're like kind of preparing for a new saga of the series or whatever but this definitely was like a strange chapter of of detail yes i agree it was weird but i i mean it was 
I kind of liked it for the same reasons you did. I do like a Sheena is her name, by the way. I do think that she has potential as a character, but it's a very that old guy in Toriko that you hated who was like, he's just like, here's my backstory. The problem solved in the same chapter. Yeah. So. It's it's definitely not the best thing if they're not going to use this character a whole lot. And even then, yeah. it's it's not a great sign when you, you resolve everything in a single chapter for. Uh, let's talk, Nick, about two chapters of Black Clover, starting with page 351 with the Shogun, the Shogun of the Land of the Sun. Asta's trying to fight the five-headed uh, monster, but it's not working. The heads keep regenerating. Uh, but we don't cover that. We cover the ice guy who's fighting uh, Yosuka Sugar. Da, 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 da. You are my gal. Da, 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 da. <laughs> don't do that every time, please. <laughs> um, I don't even remember what I did this time. Uh, so he's like, Time for my backstory. I was a rival of um the other guy who's you. you. <laughs> well, I don't have a wacky name for him yet. Anyways, uh, yeah, I I I, he, I was like a rival for him, and uh, we fought all the time. But then, like a plague struck the land, and uh, it's gonna kill everybody. But there's a way to stop it. You get you got to get the the ten gensetsu. Where you you know you, you get the magic eyes, let you see everything. But to do it, we'll sacrifice all of your Yoryoku. <laughs> and like that's crazy. Like oh, I was the strongest. Losing my Yoryoku was the only thing that scared me. If it means losing it for a bit in something I might not even find, then it should be better for those with ye- weak Yoryoku. But then, uh, uh, the the Shogun's like, I'll do it take my Uroku. I'll, I'll just happily do it and it was you know losing his strength actually didn't get the people to hate him nick in fact they were more inspired by him than ever and he he had gathered six loyal retainers and was finally going to be heralded as the shogun and they're like oh but you know you Shoga, shoga, da, da. your power is the strongest so maybe you'd be the best choice he's like nah I'm the seventh member of the Ryuzen Seven, uh, which didn't have a number back then. That would be weird if they did. So he did. Yeah, he did say just of the Ryuzen. Yeah. He's like, all right, yeah. So, uh, so he's like, boom, and he reveals his power. He turns into an iron golem of war and beats the ice dude that has to beat like a really long time ago. Uh, so they're like, all right. I'm gonna shout to all my reusing seven people. We gotta keep fighting, basically, uh, which leads us into chapter uh, page three hundred and fifty-two. Uh, well done. Uh, so why can I not remember this character's name? We literally Ryu. I'm Ryu. I I know, but I just keep I keep thinking it's something more. I'm like, do we need do we need to give him? He need like, he uh, might need. To, how about I call him Hydukin? because <laughs> <Why? laughs> Ryu does the Hadouken <laughs> I think this one's gonna stick Hadouken over here is just like that's not even how you say it Hadouken well I don't want to put my whole fucking Padusi into it every time I say it you know <laughs> we are losing our minds <laughs> it's just definition and so hadouken is just like i'm gonna use my special eyes to see everything and ask why don't you just just call him ken if you're gonna do that i'm never gonna remember ken 
<laughs> Maybe it's there should be policy. <laughs> As lesson. Uh he's just like, I gotta use my special eyes and I can see where everything's going. Bard dude's just like, I don't know the strength of everybody up. Yeah, Alright, let's let's line up the heads. We basically gotta defeat them all at the same time. They're all doing it. Ninja mask guys, those like, oh, I'm so tired. My wound's so deep. He's going to die. But then oh, uh, Ichika shows up and she's like, ah, I won't let that happen. Asta, it's up to you. And Asta does a big Zetan attack, cuts off all five heads at once. Hadouken saved the day. Everybody did their job. Well done, everybody. I like these chapters of Black Clover. Um, I I think that the final two phase spread of beating the five headed dragon is like oh that just that's just like nice and aesthetically pleasing to see the five heads in a row get all cut in a big long spread. It's nice. Uh, I like that Ichiga gets to hey rejoin the fight. It's nice. Uh, I also even like Yosuka's like backstory thing. I like just you know his explanation of like yeah, me and Ryu were like combat rivals, and one of us was going to be the Shogun, but then when one of us needed to step up, he literally just cast aside that power. So yeah, he is absolutely the guy who deserves to be the Shogun because he's the one who does everything to help the people, and he's just very content with like yeah. And I'll just be the really, really strong guy who helps him. Uh, and I like that summary of like, look, I'm the strongest, reuse the greatest. It's like, that's cool. Uh, it's, you know, a nice, simple character to, to kind of get behind. Uh, which, you know, like at this point, if we're introducing characters, yes, please keep the backstory nice and simple and easy to understand. <laughs> so. All right, Quinn. Let's do it. We've got two chapters of One Piece to talk about today, chapter 1075, Lapfe's Death Game. Uh, so there is communication going on between the different Vegapunks, but uh, communication is being lost, and uh, Vegapunk 1 realizes, what the hell is that? There's a figure that's breaking the cameras and taking out uh, the, the, the cam snails, so it's cutting off our visibility of different areas. What's going on? Hmm. So... Uh, uh, and also, like, their communications are down. Luffy can't uh, keep in touch with the people who have parted ways. Uh, we kind of just cut around to see where the different groups are. Uh, for example, uh, Nami finds um, a microwave for, full of gems. Yeah. Good for her. Yep. She's taking those with her. <laughs> it, it's worth <laughs> noting that we see these groups kind of almost broken up into, like, various different, like, oh, it's a couple members of the Strats, and then, like, Somebody we don't really know in a, yeah. in a situation where there is potentially a secret traitor. Mm, yes, that's true. Because uh, there's uh, something going on we're, uh, with all that. Uh, Shaka, Vegapunk 1, is still trying to get in touch with everyone. And Luffy says, like, hey, I was hearing their voices until just a second ago. I'm pretty sure that I didn't break this one, which is great wording on Luffy's part. Uh, but but Shaka like points out like no, no look at the look at the camera feeds they're going out one by one someone inside the lab is sabotaging stuff we cut around to some of the other groups just to establish like how tall Vegapunk six is uh, <laughs> yeah she's giant she's, she, well she's taking poops for everybody so I guess it makes sense that's true I also like the 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 uh, size uh, playing with uh, with all these different groups so like you know the smaller ones go with like the uh the bigger straw hats for example uh, -huh. uh so you know it's like sanji and stussy 
and then Jinbei, uh, and then you know you've got like uh, Vegapunk Five and Vegapunk Six with with some of the more normal size straw hats. So it's it's like okay, it's nice you know kind of dynamic uh, crowd groups and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Pythagoras, Vegapunk Three. Uh, oh my God, what happened? He got blewed up. His head's blown off. What happened? Uh, his head is also is now just kind of like winding around in little tiny legs and stuff. Uh, and uh, so they're like what's going on there's something happening uh some sort of enemy is attacking but we I, but i don't know but i saw something it i find it impossible to grasp but my eyes can't be mistaken could we have made a mistake in the design stage where is york and york has gone over and is petting uh the uh hancock um seraphim on the head and uh immediately gets turned to stone by her ability and, and knocked over yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Uh, they try and order the Seraphim to stop because, oh my gosh, she should, you know, be under Vegapunk's command. Why isn't she, and why isn't she listening to orders? Uh, she, like, starts blasting stuff, and so the, this group is falling through, uh, through the air. Uh, they're still trying to get in touch with uh, Vegapunk 1. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Zoro has got just been attacked by uh, the Kuma and Mihawk Seraphims, and uh, he's having to guard uh, Kaku and uh, and Lushi. I keep on doing that with Lushi, and he's just like, I can't just like let these guys die while they're helpless and in handcuffs like this. It'll just, you know, it just won't feel good. So, no. understand. So they're trying to figure out like what what to do, uh, and Vegapunk once uh, says, "Everyone, like, look." If they're not obeying me, then that has to mean that Vegapunk gave them their orders. And if the downed radio and being trapped inside the barrier were all planned from the start, someone is trying to kill us all. Gasp. <sighs> At that moment, Luchi and Kaku wake up and they say, hey, look, we what do we like leave the scores aside and we'll team up for a bit. So take off these cuffs and we can help. And Luffy and Zoro was like, eh, what do I do? <laughs> it's a very funny thing where like neither of you seem to eh, eh, don't want to do that. <laughs> it's uh it's 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 a great way to end the chapter, which would take us into chapter 1076, old friends. Um Zoro and Luffy are, you know, like not about this idea. Bakaku's like, hey, look, uh if uh if we do this, then we'll just play nice and go right back in the cuffs and Luffy's like oh okay <laughs> he just immediately <laughs> believes he's like oh if they're gonna do that okay <laughs> the Seraphim Mihawk starts attacking uh, and not only is he attacking with his swords he's got a leg sword thing and so Zoro recognized this is like wait a minute is that a dice dice fruit ability what the hell uh, and uh, so that's going on uh, and Vegapunk one questions Luchi and Kaku what they're doing there, and Kaku, and Luchi just flat out says like, "Oh, we're here to assassinate the seven Vegapunks." <laughs> and Kaku's like, "We're still in handcuffs. Don't tell him that. Stop saying this stuff." Yeah. Uh, and Vegapunk one's like, "Ah, and I presume you've got something in store for Stussy since she betrayed you." And Luchi's like, "She will pay the price." <laughs> Not even, not even not lying, just not even like putting a little he's, bit of a nice, nice bit on. He's being very forward about this. Yeah. Uh, they hear Nami screaming from somewhere kind of nearby. 
Uh, and so Luffy says, like, all right, come on, uh, give me give me the cuff keys. And Vegapunk one's like, all right, I'll let you make the call. Uh, and Luffy says, hey, after we've stopped all four of them, you better not go after my friends, the Vegapunks, just because you can't beat me in a fight. Got that? And Zoro says, like, oh, come on, don't be stupid, Luffy. They're not going to And Luffy's like, fine, I'm going to kill you first try. <laughs> I do love it. He's like, fine by me. I'm going to beat the shit out of you anyway. I don't even need to do that. I could beat you anyway. <laughs> All of Luffy's rivals are stupid. <laughs> yeah, I like it because we've never known Luchi's really been stupid. He didn't really get, like, <laughs> yeah. an opportunity to reveal his character until now. And you're just like, oh, he's also an idiot. Also That's an good idiot. to know. <laughs> The Kuma uh, Seraphim starts to launch a big attack. This a massive paw blast starts to go off. But Luffy has released uh, the CP0 people from their cuffs. He goes into gear four and says, sorry, Bonnie, does a con gun right in the Kuma's gut uh, while Luchi helps out with his six king pistol and his be- and his man beast form. And uh, Kaku and, uh, and Zoro team up on the Mihawk one, too. Yeah. Uh, simultaneous like passing slash abilities so very cool. they're knocked through walls very good cool, cool in that moment inside the lab uh, a bunch of other intelligence officers were captured okay over the course of two months hmm they came to investigate Egghead at some point the sea beast weapons attack drove us to here and all the other cypher who came after them also got just vanished and wound up here and uh, now uh, Vegapunk is sitting outside of their cell. They're like, I mean, we kind of assumed you were the, the cause of this, Dr. Vegapunk. And Vegapunk says, nope, I had no idea. To think all of this was happening on Egghead, under my nose, that means trouble. And it explains one other thing. There shouldn't have been any way for the government to find out about the Poneglyph research happening here. Ooh, who is the mole? Mm. Interesting. Uh, so there's a bunch of, uh, ships that are heading for Egghead, a hundred ships, in fact, uh, and we're not going to deal with that right now. Instead, on an island in the new world, in a bar at a little port along the coast, Shanks shows up. No, wait, he doesn't show up. He's been there. He's He's drinking his giant sake dish. Uh, and someone from his crew comes in and says like, Captain, this guy attacked us. Uh, so Shanks says, uh, this kind of sucks. I think I spent a bit too much time talking. Uh, and, uh, he's, but he, he goes on to say, you can't blame us for wanting to catch up when old friends who thought each other dead are reunited. Uh, and, uh, members of his crew are like, oh, our enemy must be furious. Uh, so Shanks says that they're going to sail. Uh, a little kid is like, is there going to be a war Shanks? And uh, Shanks says, I don't want to see Major Harm come to this place. Will you help me with that? Dorian Brogy. And it's the freaking Giants <laughs> from forever ago. <laughs> from 20 years ago, maybe? It's something like that. They're, they're, they've joined up with uh, Shanks' crew along with some other Giants. Uh, and they yeah, say, they're, they're, All on, right. they're on Elbeth. Yep. And uh, Shanks says, do you want me to fight me here and now or leave your road poneglyph and flee? Make your choice. And um, kids decided to pick a fight. Uh, so Captain Kid 
uh, has shown up at uh, Elbaf. His ships are, you know, just approaching it, and uh, the ships along the shore are are like kind of like just shooting at him, not very aggressively, but uh, uh, they recognize that like all these pirate crews that are kind of aiming at us, they belong to Shanks's, you know, fleet. And uh, they kind of bring up like, hey, the last time that, you know, this happened, we didn't even like actually get an audience with red hair shanks. We just got the shit being out of us. And you lost your arm. Killer's killer either finds this funny or is forced to or is compelled to laugh. Yeah, it's, I was going to say, I, he, he probably just has to still laugh from the smile. For... And uh, they're like, yeah, and they're not going to stop at an arm this time. They'll take your life. Uh, so shanks. Uh, starts to walk uh, towards the shore. Uh, admirers in the dozens clinging on to him. Like, oh my god, it's Shanks! And uh, Kid says in response to Killer's warning, that may be so, but only if I lose. I mean, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, I guess that He's, that is, is true. Right. Yeah, That's right, yes. You got, uh, you've got him there. I'm glad, Nick, that uh, my decades of prodding Shanks with a stick from afar going, come on, do something, do something. <laughs> is finally paying off. Um, I mean, this it's a wild thing, uh, the situation. And I do like it that Luffy's two biggest allies from the last arc are both about to fight another emperor, uh, but in very different ways. Uh, it feels impossible that this could go well for Kid, uh, mm. but who knows? Anything could happen. I feel like we're not going to cut back to this. I do love the little allusion at the beginning to the first chapter of One Piece where it's like a kid be like, oh, can I join you? He's just like, ah, oh, nice try, Squirt, but I don't take little kids on board with me and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Like it's, It's nice. It's fun. But like. I don't know when we're going to get back. Uh, yeah, really? <laughs> I feel like we're going to come back and kids going to be like dead on a spike or some shit like that. I, don't, I, I just don't know what they're going to do, but I, I can't. Shanks, you were uncharacteristically, sadistically brutal. <laughs> or how furious I would be if we cut back and it's Shanks dead on the ground and it's kid being like, you want that tough? <laughs> it was actually pretty easy. Red hair who? He <laughs> didn't even have a devil fruit. This dude sucked. <laughs> he also had one arm. Fuck him. Yeah. <laughs> he tried doing this thing where he glared at me and I was like, what are you doing? And I punched him. <laughs> I closed my eyes and I punched him in the penis <laughs> with my metal arm that he doesn't have. <laughs> Stupid. If he had a devil fruit, maybe he can make an arm out of metal. Anyway, <laughs> I'm taking his stuff. It's the worst criticisms. <laughs> like One Piece character. He doesn't have a Delver fruit. He's not tough. Yeah. <laughs> All right. God, Quinn, that is it for this week of Weekly Manga Recap. Tell me. Tell me. What was your favorite chapter? Ah, favorite chapter. Mm. I'm trying to think of everything we read. Mm-hmm. I can start us off. Okay. My favorite chapter this week was from Blue Box. Uh, I thought I just thought that the very emotional uh, and direct words from Chinatsu, which, you know, we rarely, rarely, rarely get to see from her because, you know, she's just kind of always like cool and collected, having everything that she's been dealing with in the last several chapters just coming out of her, while combined with 
not a, a confession of love, but a confession of how closely she feels to Taiki and just how logically, but also genuinely and emotionally she feels about him and his importance to her life or where she is now. All very, very awesome stuff. Uh, and I am waiting with bated breath to find out how this concludes. Also, there's a shuttle run happening. That's it's like, honestly, who cares? <laughs> um, that was a very poignant and well-examined reason why Blue Box is your favorite. Uh, Cypher Academy is my favorite of the week because it made me make I... chuckles. I, I got a couple big laughs out of it. Very silly. Uh, and I needed that. And on that same energy... My character of the week is Creed from Under no. Luck because Nick, when you decrease the life all the way down, you can't get it back. So dumb. Fuck, it was great, and I love it. Uh, excellent. My character of the week, for one very simple reason, is going to be Tokuyami. He turned into a giant shadow monster and punched off one in the face. And I loved it. Um, That's all I got. That so. is it. The audience, by the way, picked PPPPP as their chapter of the week and Shinatsu from Blue Box as the character of the week. Totally get it. All right, guys, that is going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap. We want to thank you for joining us for this very big special episode of the show where we had a nice big discussion about Weekly Manga Recap and had to double up on some stuff that we didn't cover last week. We will have more next Wednesday. We record the shows here on twitch.tv slash RolloT at around 7.30 Eastern time. Uh, we do make a post to social media when that happens, but also... You can just join our Discord server and you can find out when it's going live from there. The Discord link will be under the description of this video if you're uh, or or audio podcast if you're listening to the to the recording. We uh, have our past episodes on weeklymagarecap.poppy.com also available through iTunes and Spotify and generally anywhere podcasts can be listened to video versions on youtube.com slash recap where you can also see the opening sequence done for us by Milo Jack Stilitz and Wednesday Dell Cheddar and occasionally see title cards done for us by Steve Man, whose art you can see wherever boobs are allowed to be drawn all across the internet under the name Steve Man Art. We would like to thank everyone who helps support the show. You can support us financially if you wish to uh, at patreon.com slash recap or just join the Discord server, be part of the community. We would love to have you there to participate in the bi-weekly game nights that happen, the discussions of chapters as they come out week to week, the discussions of series that we take as recommendations, which you can also add your own if you check out the Google Doc maintained by Ninja X3i, which also tracks a bunch of statistics and history associated with the show. And there's a list of recommendations that you can make and uh, also just like add your seconds or third votes to uh, if uh, you see something that's already on there that we haven't covered yet. Yes. Speaking of <gasps> which, Quinn. There's been something missing from Weekly Manga Recap for a couple of months. Okay. Hmm. With with Eden Zero currently not part of the recap due to publishing rights oh reasons. Please no. There's been a distinct lack of horny bullshit in please, our lives. Please no. And that is why our next recommendation is going to be Monster Musume, Life with Monster Girls. I mean... It's better than what I was worried. 
There's so many things I could have picked. Yeah. I was so worried you were like, you know what we've been missing in our life? Mashima Hero. Let's read a Hundred Tale Quest. <laughs> uh, oh God, this is like a monster fucking series, isn't it? Pretty much. Monster Girl, yes. Uh, they, oh, they don't have sex with them? It's not a hentai series, no. Okay, well, that, I remember at one point adding it to a poll, like, what we should add to a weekly manga recap, and then someone messaged me, like, you know, that's like a monster fucking series, right? I was like, I don't know, someone just suggested it. Monster Musume is not a monster fucking series, but there's lots of boobs in it. Okay, so. well, that's fine. Bo- boobs mm. are natural, Nick. So sex, Quinn. No, that's a natural <laughs> in monsters. <laughs> <laughs> That thing that that thing that needs to happen for stuff to be born, the most unnatural thing in the world. <laughs> Ew, gross. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs>